Welcome to Savvy Sabs Podcast on Call-In. This is episode 141, Norm Finkelstein interview recap, JFK reveal, the IDF situation with the hostages, and of course, crazy ass Alec Baldwin. <laughs> oh gosh, so many things to discuss. I want to go ahead and bring in uh, Hoop. Looks like you are first on the People are ready. Fill Let's up the queue fast. Levels here to make sure Hello. I have the media volume up. What's going on, Hoop? Doing great. How are you? I'm good. Um, you know, remember when Marianne Williamson was came out and said that uh, she was running, and we was all like, "Israel's the thing." Mm-hmm. You know, like, man, ain't it? Just crazy how who's it it has exposed, you know, the like the COVID and the uh, Israel thing, you know. We tried to explain to people, right, Hoop? Like, how many times did RBN try to tell people that Marianne was wrong on this issue? I mean, we knew that. I mean, the second that she, like, when you guys did the interview with her, she, it was. You know what I mean? It just exposed them. It just, you know, it it just exposed them for the, just the, like, immoral people they are. Because even even Bree was like, why is this an issue? I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, but see, at that point, remember that Marianne had deleted those tweets. She had deleted those tweets. And so there were some people on Twitter who still had, they actually took screenshots when she made those statements. Um, but she had deleted a, a couple of them. And so if you were to search for it, you would see where it said deleted tweet and things like that. And I think that now, you know, more people are starting to see it. But she was incredibly wrong on this issue. It would have been better if Marianne would have just been honest from the get go that she said those things, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm just saying, like, even Bree was like, why is this a big deal? I, I mean, it was like. She was, I remember she, Brianna Joy Gray. She was like, "Why, uh, why is this such a problem?" And we was like, "It's because it's a moral thing." You know what I mean? Like the whole genocide shit. Well, she always stood with, you know, the the self determination of the Palestinian people. Oh, uh, uh, I know she did. I know. I'm not saying she didn't. I'm saying like she was just acting like, "Why is it an issue?" And then like it, it happened. You know what I mean? Like I'm saying October seventh. Like this was like a couple months ago. You know, or whatever. Like, I think, know, yeah, it, I think. Well, I think one of the things that she was referring to was why was the two state solution like such a big issue? Like, why was that we wasn't even talking about two state solutions. She was just talking about the whole Israel issue. Period. Like, why is it a problem? And it was like, <laughs> well, oh, I thought you were talking about because in the the interview that we had with um on Bad Face podcast, I know that. She, we were talking about, we mentioned the two-state solution, and I know that uh, one of the things that Nick was trying to explain is that that's actually a now, weak uh, take. Oh, you're talking about Marianne. I was talking about Bree. Yeah. She was acting like, uh, why is it a big deal with the left? Remember that? Sorry. Because, because, because at that point in time, the disagreement was around a two-state solution, and we had already moved further left when it came to that point yeah, because yeah. we were educated by the Palestinian network. Like they explained right. to us what Israel's ultimate goal was in this right. idea of a greater Israel. 
And so at one point in time, a couple years ago, like that was like a lot of people were on board with let's just do a two-state solution. I used to think that was the right thing to do at one point in time too. But then after I spoke to the Palestinian network, then I realized, oh my God, like I've, I've been wrong on this issue. So I had to be, that's the thing. Like I told people, like I wasn't always correct on this issue. I had to be educated about it. Um, no but one, now, but now that this war lot, is happening, and I think more people see it. A lot of people wasn't. That's what I'm getting at. That's what I'm getting at. Like it, it exposed itself. Like you know what I mean. Like the the darkness came to the light. Like you know what I mean. I don't, and I don't think a lot of people realize just how bad it was. Yes, yes, it opened up. It opened up it for it to be a topic of a conversation instead of like people just being. If you was just like, ah, there's a genocide going on, people are just looking at you like all crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things. I, uh, one of the things know, I'd like to propose is that we 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 spend less time talking about whether it should be one state or two state and really oh, focus the conversation on justice for the Palestinians and freedom yeah, for the yeah, Palestinians. Yeah. Liberation, liberate yeah. Palestine, you know what I mean? And That's just always true. bring it back to that and not get fo- caught up in, oh, one state or two state. You know? Yeah, I, I never cared about that. I was just I was just saying how it exposed itself, you know what I mean? Like how, Yeah, how no, I don't mean you personally. I just mean, you know, rhetorically when we're talking about these things, yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want a two-state solution anyway, because like, wouldn't that just be giving the occupiers there what they wanted anyway? Like at the end of the day, well, like it should be Palestine, and then like, yeah, you can't can't have a two-state solution with all those settlements in the West Bank. No. (laughs) Yeah, so that's where like if you bring it back to justice for the freedom for the Palestinians, yeah, liberate, liberate Palestine. Then you know you, you could look at either solution. But if you don't do that, then neither solution works. You know, it's all it's all back to that core point. But but my whole thing was just like how it expo- how it really happened. Like uh, I'm saying up for a topic of conversation. Like you know, we was questioning RFK Jr. We was questioning these people about it, and they were just like, you know, blowing it off like it wasn't a big deal. And then October seventh happened. It's just like kind of crazy. Yeah, you know, like you know what I mean. Well, I've I've had people tell me, and even some of them till this day. Even after October seventh, I've had people tell me that they didn't care about the Palestinian people. I know that's people are. That just goes to show you who they are, though. That's what I'm telling you. Like now, like Katie Helper is a good one to even like. You know, she's like on the team or whatever. Like when. Well, Katie, from from what I remember, she was always pretty good on this issue. Like she's been talking about this for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. True. But uh, you guys have a good night. All righty. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Let's bring in uh, Frank. Frank, you are on the mic. What's going on? You just have to unmute. Hi, Sabby. Do I speak better than last time? I can hear you. Yay. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I want to report a little bit on, on uh, what's What's happening with the um, the the Elijah McLean paramedics trial? Um, I I do believe that trial has been rigged by uh, jury selection. I was there for the jury selection, um, at least the first day of it. The second day was uh, um, I had some transportation difficulties, and 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 the judge had blocked out the cameras for the jury selection, which is very telling of what was going on. 
Um, I don't know. I don't know if um, your your listeners uh, understand how jury selection goes. That the prosecutor always looks for um, people that have the most uh, uh, emotional attachment to law enforcement or other government agencies, including themselves, since they are law enforcement. And um, usually, the defense looks for the people that are most open-minded. And um, problem with the people that are most open-minded, they actually tell the truth about their bias and that they know what's going on in a case and they get tossed for knowledge. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, so, but in this case, it's, a, it's, it's government. Um, so both the, the defense and the prosecutors are one after people that have the most emotional attachment um, to law enforcement and the paramedics. They even had one boomer on there that said um, that he had um, that that people aren't letting uh, param, you know first responders do their jobs. So like that's that's a really quick arrest if they're doing that. <laughs> if they're not letting people do their jobs, that's interference. So um, the um, the prosecution has rested its case, and now the defense is putting up their. They've actually put up both the paramedics. Um, uh, to to defend themselves on the stand, and um, it should be in the next couple of days. They, they they'll finish up. So I I, I don't expect um, good results um, or honest results even. Um, that in in plus there's also the situation that all the doctors behind it, including Doctor Eric Hill, who had the waiver, and the waivers were all illegal. And I pointed that out to both the 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 AG and the defense attorneys and they didn't care they they have they have they have what they want um, they have the jury that they want um, so it it's it's that and also uh, um, this afternoon uh, um, the Colorado Supreme Court in a four three decision um, did uh, uh, allowed or, or disqualified Trump from being on the ballot. Um, and that's gonna that's a stay until January fourth. Because on January, can we talk Secretary a little bit? Of, can we? Yeah, can, someone put that in the chat tonight. Can we talk a little bit about that? So they removed Donald Trump from the ballot. How is that even legal? Yeah, well, well, well they said that that on January sixth was an was an official insurrection, even though it's not been called that by a court of law. Um, they say that Congress. Uh, called it uh, insurrection, and um, because of Congress's declaration that they um, calling that an insurrection, then because of the Fourteenth Amendment, if you cause treason or an insurrection, then you are disqualified from office. So that's what they did: is clause number three in, in the in the Fourteenth Amendment. But it, so but it hasn't that, been ruled. They haven't ruled that it was an insurrection in the court of law, though, right? Right, right. That's mm -hmm. what makes it a little more mysterious. And and um, they they did provide evidence that's you know trying to argue that it was, and the judge in the dist Denver District Court bought it um, and said that. But she said that it doesn't pertain to the president. Um, <laughs> that law doesn't pertain to the president. So it's 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 weird because um, it. 
I'm, I'm trying to think who who in office um, at state level or federal level in any 50 state has not has not committed treason against us. <laughs> I don't know of anybody. <laughs> so that 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 is a that is a stay until January 4th. And on the 5th, um, the Colorado Secretary of State has to uh, certify the election. So they're giving the stay until January 4th so that the um, the U.S. Supreme Court, if they choose to pick it up by cert, would then um, insert themselves. And they're either going, you know, deny it or and allow the, the Colorado Supreme Court to stand or they're they're going to uh, um, reverse it and, and say Trump's on the ballot somehow. I, it, it's so stay tuned. <laughs> what happened next? Like all of this, like has been in the um, in the Colorado state courts, going up to the Colorado Supreme Court, and I think yeah. next Trump will file something in the uh, in the federal courts, and yeah. then it. I, I think it'll, you know, it'll end up getting reversed. It's just a quite, you know, it'll just be a question of how high up in the federal courts or whether the Supreme Court has to do it eventually. But the, the Supreme only, Court has to do it by January fourth. Yeah, well, it, I mean, I, I think when the federal the courts and the feds want to want to get in there and get something done, they'll do it. You know, so yeah, I'd be shocked <laughs> if this stands. Yeah, I'll be shocked if it stands too, especially because it's gone to the Colorado Supreme Court, then it is allowed to go to the U.S. Supreme Court without going through the district court. So they're, they're the most the most likely that it can the Roberts Court is going to reverse it. Yeah, so you, so you think it can be a, a pretty quick shot to the Supreme Court? Yeah, It has to be. Uh, if it isn't, um, right. yeah, they rushed this whole thing through in three months. And what's what's weird is they gave they gave all the people um, a, a standing because they're Republicans and they all argued that it would be harm to the Republican Party, not to them personally, but harm to the Republican Party. But the Republican Party didn't um, didn't file. It was just a few Republicans and one former uh, one former Speaker of the House, I think, like 20 years ago. And it's. So it, it it's it doesn't make a lot of sense, <laughs> but it's where we are. <laughs> that's it's theater and party games. That's very interesting. Yeah, like I've actually never been summoned for jury duty. <laughs> it has happened to a lot yeah. of my friends, and they say, "Just you wait." I'm like, nobody has asked me yet. So yeah. one of those cards? Nope, yeah. I have not. I had one earlier this year. I, I was due like in the spring or I think, and then I postponed it. And then like a week before it came due, they sent me another card and they said, oh, we don't need you. So that happens <laughs> sometimes too. Yeah. And I suggest all, all your, yourself and all your listeners um, partake in the jury because it, it might be a situation where they need someone that is really open-minded and in, in, because the prosecutors are going after the people that are most close-minded and have the most emotional attachment and won't think things through and have already made up their minds. So it's, it's I've seen too many juries do that. I would have gone, although once they asked me what I think of cops or something, I might have got booted. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they love asking that. That's a double-edged mm. one. That's where they're going for. They want people with emotional attachment to cops. <laughs> that's what they want. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole part of 
Yeah, it's a whole part of how they do it is to try to uh, pre-select the jury that that they want. Yeah, it's part of the game. And I I think that game needs to change because um, uh, if you're a defendant, uh, what what is a jury of your peers? People that are emotionally attached to cops and don't like you. <laughs> but that's what the prosecutors go for. I think that needs. To, I don't think the government has a right to cha- to pick and choose who is a who is um, a, a jury of your peers. I, um, my opinion, it should be the, your own attorney doing it, but and they can weed out people that have excessive bias, and that's that's actually the judge's job. But wow, these are these are just very very telling things, though, you guys. Like, I, oh, I just seen the article from the Boston Globe come through that says Colorado Supreme Court declares Trump ineligible. Now I wonder if other states will follow. Yeah, it was all the other states previously, and there were quite a few. Um, all did not, you know, you know, said allowed him on the ballot. I know Minnesota did, and a few others, and that went through the Minnesota Supreme Court. Wow! And, it, and it's being funded by Reed Hoffman, by the way. Oh, of course. <laughs> Can you explain to everyone who this is, in case they're not aware. Reed he, Hoffman. He, he's another. Yeah. He's another billionaire. He's the co-founder of LinkedIn. And he donates to Democrats and Republicans, by the way, you guys. So he's another one of them that donates to both. Yep. (laughs) What's curious to me is that there have been people who were involved in that January 6th um, insurrection who have been convicted. So it has not been Donald Trump, but there has been a conviction of other people for their role in it. So I am wondering if by extension, the, this court is saying there has been, you know, a defined act of insurrection. And the, I think the 14th Amendment is saying anyone who participates. Yeah, but no, um, yeah. none of those convictions were, were under the 14th Amendment for insurrection. But what I'm saying is crimes they, and whatever and they were convicted of, it was something involving January 6th. Right. But that doesn't make it insurrection. But what does it make it? What I don't know what those people were convicted of, but I'm thinking, you know, maybe that's what it is. Well, I can tell you factually, none of them were convicted by the federal government for the crime of, of insurrection. I would defy yeah. anyone to show me <laughs> some um, evidence that they were. Yeah, and 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 I I don't believe it was an insurrection because they were in the con- in the in in the Congress and um, they they all left. <laughs> if they, if it was an insurrection, they would have kept going and like occupied. Gave them a tour. <laughs> yeah, the ones that the ones that weren't feds. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I don't think it truly defines an insurrection. I just think it was a protest that got out of control. And, um, you know, I, 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 I think it's wrong what the Colorado Supreme Court did. But and they did that in a hurry. Um, but get it all done. But I think it's, the it's, actual definition has to do with interrupting an official government proceeding. So, yeah, it, it remains to be. Yeah, well, the insurrection is if they were going to, you know, completely topple the government. Um, that's what they're at. I don't think that's the official definition, though. I think the actual language says, 
or speaks to disrupting official government proceedings. So, like I say, you know. And if that and if that's the definition, Noel, that explains why Marjorie Taylor Greene is now using that same rhetoric in reference to the protesters that are in at the um at Congress. Right, right. That's why she was that's why she was able to say that, guys. Think about it. That's why she was saying we have an insurrection. Interesting. No, that's also why you, you don't want to be thrown around this term because it will always end up getting used against the the left and people representing the 99%. Mhm. Nope, you're you're right about that. Anything okay. else? What's up? Um yeah, I'm just and my I do have a um a related lawsuit to the um Elijah McClain and that mines into the Court of Appeals because I had a judge um, just throw dismiss it without any legal reasoning. Um, and my my lawsuit is actually to uh, uh, I just wanted records of all the waivers that were given out to all the doctors, and there's 51 of them. And I and I asked for um, uh, MPAC, which was the advisory council that um, advised and approved um, to to um, allow paramedics to use ketamine in violation of multiple laws and they didn't have they didn't have the approval authority but they used it anyways so um they they impact uh, was that group and they were they were created out of a dual issue bill in 2010 um, and they can't do that in colorado and it was also the fact that it's only supposed to be have lasted 10 years so um they were supposed to be abolished in at, at two, two, two thousand July first, two thousand twenty, at the very latest. So, um, try, still trying to get some actual law. So we're, we've got that in the court appeals. And hmm. I definitely so, love the idea of, of, of demanding transparency. You know, that's one of the things that, as a movement, we clear demands on. Like when Savvy had the story with with the JFK papers you know and you still have all these papers that are like still classified you know from the 60s it, it's ridiculous yes <laughs> yeah just, just yeah, I, almost, I almost like 99 percent of stuff that's classified just needs to be just made public yeah and, and i asked for about 500 uh, different records requests uh on on the issue of ketamine and i probably only got it back about 300 of them so they're they, they're hiding a lot and they know they've done wrong so, mm-hmm. and that's why this is one of the reasons why they didn't want to declassify the JFK files. They didn't want yeah. to release them. Yeah, we got to do something about classification laws for transparency. That is, well, we'll keep it for another fifty years. Like, no, you're not. <laughs> and when Trump took all those records, um, uh, I th- I think it was against classification, um, but. It would have been best for him to just put it out on a website and say, look, these are your records, public. <laughs> and he probably would have been a hero just for that. <laughs> but, but, um, we, you know, we, he's, you know, part of the part of the big club as well. So, you know, he'll he'll act yeah, he like is. he wants stuff, but he's not real about it. Yeah, he isn't at all. <laughs> 
Okay. Yeah, this one they just classify stuff as a matter of course. You know, it's just bang classified, top secret. It is. It is more than ridiculous. Yeah, it is. Okay. All right. Anything well, else all, for you? That's all. That's all I wanted to say. Thank you. All righty. Have a good night. You too. Let's go ahead and bring in Darlene, and then I'll go to Noel. What's going on, Darlene? Just have to unmute. Hello. Hey, how are you? Hi. How are you? I loved your your interview with Norm Finkelstein. I, I watched it actually twice to watch it. And I had a laugh, especially when he called Marianne an airhead. <laughs> you couldn't hold your laughter. <laughs> he is hilarious. That's why I said he belongs on the housewives. He knows how to read, but he was, I mean, he's saying the truth. Looking now, she had that she had that interview with the young girl, and here she had to put out a, ret- uh, uh, a retraction on the things that she said. And it's like you're running for president, like when you said she met you guys. It's I, I my personal opinion is is that she's an elitist, and she thinks that she knows it all. And since you're younger, you can't know more than her. But she's you know she, she's she's being made a fool of. And it's like, uh, are you really want running? I mean, I wouldn't vote for her, but if you're running for president, you should really know what's going on. <laughs> well, the thing is, I actually saw so funny thing. She did an interview with Humanist Report that posted today, um, and <laughs> someone like CJ had told us about it, and I was like, oh boy. And so she did this interview with Humanist Report, and she's like, you know, people have said things about me, and I don't think it's fair. And then I'm like, no, like you're running for president. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you shouted people down, and I, I just, and you were loud and wrong. Like it's 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 it really sucks when you're loud and wrong. You know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It makes it's like you think she would learn. Like take time to, but I think that she thinks too much of herself. You know, and the fact that. She doesn't know these things and, and you and things they you know, you possibly can't know more than her, which is stupid for her. But Yeah. Yeah. And, I think that's how she feels. Yeah. And I was just like, but on I watched you got me hyped tonight watching. I seen that interview with Bree. I seen it the other day. And was it yesterday or whenever it was on, I watched it. And yeah, the lady just annoyed the shit out of me. And I was like, <laughs> I just come to the conclusion that the whole Israeli government, they're just racist, just simple and that. They don't like these people because they're Muslim. I mm-hmm. mean, it's just, I mean, the blatant where they don't care. And it brings me to, I found a video and I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm finding out I'm old. Everybody else knew about the video. I had no idea about it. About a 12 year old boy, his name is MC Abdul. And he put out a rap video and it, I mean, I sat there and cried. It broke my heart. He's 12 years old and the things he's talking about, a 12 year old shouldn't even know. It, 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 just, it was moving. I wish that that video could go viral and people could really see it because if, I mean, I'm a person who cries easily, but I think it would touch a lot of people. And I was like, I hope it would get to the right people that, you know, this, if he survived, this kid deserves a career. 
I mean, he's really good. And he's been rapping, I think, since like eight years old. They showed him with his classmates. And it was just, you know, he was just saying my dad goes out and he's got um, goes to get me bread. And that I don't know if he's going to come back like it's and he's he covers his, his his sister's ears because of the bombs and 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 he tells her it's firecrackers. I mean, he said it in a much elegant, better way. But it was just like it just was sad. And this was two years ago. This video, and you see the destruction there. So I can imagine. And the sad thing is, I found out his like Instagram and stuff. And there hasn't. I mean, I know they don't have no cell phones, so I know he can't think. I just hope he's alive. But that, you know, he hasn't had anything in over, in over a month. So, and it's sad because I think he's like 15 now. And I was going through his videos. I had actually tagged um, Rome on Twitter. And he said he knew about him too. So he's seen him. So I was just like, I wish the kid could go viral. His video could go viral. They should really use it. It might do something to stop this war. I'm wondering if that's the video that I saw. Um I think Nick may have I think Nick may have sent sent that to us at one point. There was the the Palestinian boy who was rapping. It may not necessarily be the same kid. And probably sure. was. He was he young, like twelve years old. I I thought so. Mm-hmm. They said it because he said 12 years of my life, I've lived through four wars. I was like, and, you know, I'm just crying. I was just like, it's just so sad. Like, this, this is a child and they shouldn't be going through this. And he said his favorite rappers was uh, Eminem, Tupac, and DJ Khaled. DJ Khaled. <laughs> and I guess best. that's because he's Palestinian. But, you know, I even feel bad for him because, of course, I believe he should speak up. But I'm sure he's scared to. Yeah. Uh, well, he's connected to Zionists as well. Wow. Financially, he's connected to Zionists. Um, JB and I, we found that out, uh, I think, I want to say it was a couple of weeks ago that his record label, so he owns like his record label, but that record label apparently is a part of another another company. And it was actually, I can't take credit for this. It was actually Mint Press News who actually revealed that information. That's why DJ Khaled has been silent because the company that owns his record label, that that guy and his wife, they are also Zionist. Oh, wow. Yes. Man. I guess because he got money or whatever. And he, you know, it's just said, I hope if he has family there, I don't know how he sleeps at night. Um, I'm, it's probably... I'm not sure how long DJ Khaled has has been in the U.S., but given like his resources and things like that, he probably has his family members here. He's probably been able to get them over here before all this happened at some point. I don't know, but um, I it is really sad that he won't even speak up for his own people. It's it's really sad. I, I just I can't I, I just can't imagine. Darlene, wait, hello. Yes. Were you talk? I just got on. Were you talking about the the kid that you posted? I, yeah. I saw you. Yeah, I didn't get. I saw it, but I didn't really get a chance to finish it. But it sounded like he was pretty good. But um, but uh, yeah. What would you say about? Do, do you know the name? Do you know the name? Yeah. What's his name? MC Abdul. MC Abdul. Let me All see. All right. I found his Twitter. I'll post it. He's okay. so 
adorable. And it's like, you know, <laughs> he even did a video and you see all the kids and it's just all they're trying to do is live and they're living in rubble. And it's like, wow. And he's, he got a flu. So he said he's been studying yeah, I, was, and Tupac. <laughs> I was, I was checking that out. I was like, oh. I was in the middle of doing something, so I couldn't really finish watching it. But I was just like, oh, this kid's kind of nice here. Better than a lot of these American rappers. But, yeah. Yeah. And I said, all the rappers here talk about war and this. They're, they don't really know. This kid is talking from the heart of what he's going through. It, I was like, it is just so sad. And like I said, this is two years ago. And you see the the all the rubble there. And it's like, wow, let's go, look what these kids are playing in. It's mm -hmm. sad. And you got that stupid reporter acting like that everything was fine before. Uh, I can't. I can't. Thank God I don't see these people in person. But do you notice that, Darlene? Like, once you start to mention, once you start to go back before Hamas, they always try to interrupt the conversation. Exactly. And and the other thing I don't understand, like like you were saying on the show, you took these people's land. You were, they, was, they didn't want a two-state solution. They were living there. What do you think? I, I, I mean, I'm hearing more things that it was more sinister because, like I said, why didn't, if they wanted a place for the Jewish people to go, why didn't they put them in Germany? That's what happened. It was there. Why not give them the land there? Mm. I've, I've always wondered that myself, right? Because that's where the atrocities started, right, against the Jewish people. So why wasn't Germany forced to give up land? Exactly. That makes no sense. But the things in this world and what they were saying about the Red Sea, you, they're going to cause, you know, nobody's on the U.S.'s side. And, and I, I mean, I don't want World War Three, but I think hope maybe some of these countries will get some balls and be everybody scared of the U.S. and and start to push back like, no, this isn't happening. If, if Joe Biden don't want to listen, if nobody, you know, if they stop, I mean, nobody else is agreeing with them in the U.N., but if they start doing all this, maybe some it will wake up to somebody up there to stop this. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, it makes it, it makes you wonder. I mean, oh, go ahead, Roger. Sorry. No, no, I was just agreeing. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, we're becoming. It's funny. The U.S. government said that Saudi Arabia is isolated and that Russia is Excuse me, that Russia is isolated. Obviously, that's not true, as we've seen, right? Russia is forming coalitions with other countries. We're going to be the ones that are isolated. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the points I wanted to make about this is that, you know, because of the timing of the creation of Israel, people tend to link it more directly to the end of World War II and the Holocaust than it really is. Because that whole Zionist project to create a ethnocentric state for the Jews, um, the ideology had been brewing for well before the World War II and the Holocaust. So um, the creation of Israel was amplified and probably accelerated through the ending of World War II, but it was not just as a in response to the Holocaust. And that's why I think the idea of creating Israel in Palestine had already been germinating. And so when the Holocaust ended, 
it was not to think of, oh, let's put them in Germany because they had already been discussing, you know, after the end of World War One and the fall of the Ottoman Empire, there was this energy to create this thing in Palestine. And mm-hmm. so, but like, I think what, what was a brilliant point made tonight in the article by the, um, I forget his name, Sabrina, oh, but yes, he pointed out that in the documents, you know, it was stated that the UK did not own um, Palestine to give to anyone else. And that's the point that people miss. You know, there were people already living there, this and that. It was not an unoccupied land for people without a, a, a land. There were people living there. And I think now that we're this deep into the 21st century, this type of settler colonialism is just so out of vogue and, you know, it's so last century or two. But, I, you know, it's just. And it's 2023 and it's crazy that in 2023, something like this is still happening, right? It's kind of like the the bad news. It's, it's so ridiculous and terrible and just, you know, hard to even wrap your head around. But I guess the, the good news is that in that kind of chaos and ridiculousness, maybe, you know, real change can happen and maybe we can get over this hump and to something, you know, really better. But the thing, the, the thing is, guys, one of the things I want people to understand is that that JFK article was very revealing because it shows you that the number of times I've heard people say that JFK stood with Israel. Notice that's all they really say in reference to that. They don't really go into detail the way that article did, which is he also supported the Arab countries as well and supported their right for freedom. And that piece is left out by people who make that argument. So what it shows you is, had JFK not been assassinated, we probably wouldn't even be having this discussion right now because JFK did not want people to go along with the Zionist movement because he considered that to be the racist, a racist movement. And so that's why like this shit is wild. Like, so for me, Anybody else coming up next that's going to interview RFK, which, of course, he avoids leftist channels like the plague. None of us can get him on. But they need to ask him that question about JFK because RFK Jr. has told some lies about where where JFK stood in reference to this issue. And the cool thing about that article from Rick is that Rick actually had the documents photocopied in the article so you can see the actual documents yourself. Yeah, I think, you know, back in in the day, you know, I think JFK was, you know, was a pretty bright guy. And, you know, I think he surrounded himself with, with academic and worldly people who, you know, who understood that that this kind of colonial settlerism should have been something in the past. And that this idea that, you know, the Israelis are just going to go in and, and push all the 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 native inhabitants out of there and just make a state you know it wasn't going to go well and you know i don't think 
I don't know that JFK living would have solved it, but I think it, it certainly would have been better than, you know, like LBJ coming after him. And, and of course you saw, you know, LBJ was like this Texas buffoon who didn't even, who didn't even give a shit about any of it. It's just. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and then he kind of opened the door for those things to happen in, in, in Israel's favor. And yeah. so to me, that's why I was just like, just, just think about what it's telling you is that the president of the United States at that point in time saw that this was becoming a problem. And once that was left unchecked, and they were not forced to identify themselves or register themselves as a foreign agent. They just went in and took all the Congress. I'm talking about APAC. Because the thing is, is that if you're lobbying for another country, you should be considered a foreign agent. Why are you lobbying for another country? And it's kind of a, and it, you know, it, just a kind of a pretty clear cut example, but it's one of many. I mean, the, the whole, the whole system has, it, as far as, you know, real democracy has, you know, has just so degraded from, you know, it's just gotten a lot worse, you know, and, and it wasn't great or perfect back then, but now it's just, it's become this total corporate big money takeover. And, you know, the, the, the APAC money is, is, is one is a, an example of that. And there's, you know, there's, it, it's like, there's a thousand APAC, you know, well, you know, there, there's hundreds of, of APAC style interests, but mm -hmm. the, the problem is all of those big money interests don't have our interests or the 99% um, in um, that. That's not what they're interested in. They're interested in the interests of the very richest of the billionaires and the huge corporations. And that's really what, you know, I think needs to be kept in mind. It's about interests. And so now we have a government that doesn't operate in our interests. It operates in the interests of the billionaires. And that's, and that's what needs to be focused on and, and demanded to be changed. But, you know, it's like I said, um, last call in, when you really step back and look at it, this is the way it's always been in this country. There has always been a capital capitalist interest that has had a segment or a type of lobbyist for it. And so when we think about American history and the impact of, you know, the people like the Dulles brothers and, you know, um, their interest in, you know, forging territories into foreign lands for the exploitation of um, resources and things of this nature and how those interests consolidated in the official government. And when Eisenhower were warned against the, you know, expansion of the military industrial complex, you see all of that stuff coming out of the 40s and 50s after World War II. And then you come into the 60s where you had this great opportunity for change. And we see it on a number of levels, you know, from the civil rights movement to now we're understanding this situation with um, Israel and um, JFK's position on that. 
But what we really see from that period is the consolidation of those energies that we, you know, for lack of better terminology, we can call the deep state that really is motivating, you know, what we see in real day, you know, actions, but it's coming from an energy that is operating outside of the jurisdiction of the official government. And, you know, if certain things had been made, certain decisions had been made in the 60s, we may have been living in a different reality. But what I take from it is those um, interests felt threatened. They felt threatened by the presence of JFK and some of the things he was saying when he said he would, you know, destroy the CIA and cast it into a thousand pieces or whatever that phrase was. They were threatened by um, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And we hear, you know, in years gone by what um, J, I mean, Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover was saying, who was a threat to the United States and this and that. So what we really get from that period is when those powers that are, you know, extra governmental feel threatened, they they will even take out a president. They take out the president, they take out the prophets and this and that. And what we see in the years post-60 is a consolidation and a hardening of those lines up until the point now where we see with our own eyes a genocidal project taking place that is a proxy um, project of the United States by way of our funding. And they're telling us, they're using the mouthpieces of the media to tell us a whole different narrative that we just see with our own eyes isn't real, but they're not willing to make the adjustment. And so for me, it's really a frightening period because we have people just saying whatever and we're seeing it with our own eyes. And when you look at the masses of people around the world who are protesting this, it's just not having any impact. And they're just, you know, the people who, are in control, are just doing what they want to do. And so I wonder if we really do have an opportunity, you know, say for a revolution that anything can really be changed in the fundamental way that it needs to. It's a really good point. Anything else, uh, Darlene? I was just going to respond to Noel. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that's why they want to keep Joe Biden in because he's a perfect puppet. He's he I mean he's got dementia. He's not all there. So they can they they can do anything and have, you know, they have their way with him, meaning they get no pushback whatsoever. So I think that's why they're propping him up to keep him there. But I it, it just looks like it with APAC. Like how do you have this one lobby that runs the government? Like you're all scared to say anything to them. Meanwhile, don't get me out there because I would be like F you. You know, use a bunch of racist pieces of shit and and call them out, but nobody will do it. They act like they're the mafia. I don't get it. Maybe they are because they maybe they put hits on people too. Who knows? But that's all I gotta say. (laughs) Have a good night. Thank you so much, Darlene. Go ahead, uh, Eric. I think you were going to say something really quick, and then I'll go to a kid. Yeah, just um, just say briefly. I, I. I, I think we're seeing a lot of cracks 
in in the narrative management. Um, you know, the everybody knows about these protests. They're on the news all over the place. We're seeing even CNN cover um, cover the story in Gaza. Some, you know, showing the carnage and, and whatnot. And so I, I see the the current situation as a real opportunity for change because it there there's just so much chaos and so much cracking of the narrative management. Mm. Well said. Let me bring in um, a kid. All right. What's going on, a kid? You just have to. Unmute. Hey, Savvy and team, everybody. Hope everybody's having a good night. You know, I, I have a couple of points here that I wrote down and talk about regarding today's show. But I, I did want to touch on a couple of things because I know, you know, Noel, <clears throat> one of the elders on the on the uh, respected here on your show, she always has a good perspective and a longer term perspective than many of us. And I think maybe that's why she also, uh, you know, very well points out the fact that where the nation started, the fact that the nations never really changed, that we're a plantation nation and that when the powers that be are uh, feel threatened, you know, they'll do whatever it takes, including taking out a president like JFK, taking out MLK, taking out Malcolm X, RFK, and many others, right, that they took out around the world. In fact, you know, J JF Kennedy, he had a lot of plans for, for the country. And, you know, based on, again, I, I've done some, some, a lot of research on the guy. Uh, his first year was, was challenging, was very promising. And by his last year, you know, he was hitting home runs uh, before he got killed. And he was on his way to possibly becoming, you know, our greatest, the greatest president that we would have had to that point. And he was also very much about helping those countries. He was very, I want to say, very forward thinking and not being stuck in, in the wrong ways, you know, but actually looking at people and how connecting with other people from other nations, whether it was Africa, whether it was the Middle East, how that would make the planet better, you know, not just for all of us. And including, you know, the way that he, I think one of his speeches, one of his greatest speeches, he, he talked about looking at Russia from their perspective and to put ourselves in their shoes. And, and, and these things that he did that no one else was doing at the time. You know, and eventually he would meet his demise because of what he was doing, which is basically threatening the powers that be. And that's why they got rid of him. And then going back to Noel, you know, the point being that, you know, where are we going to get to? Because the, these powers are so strong that they prevent anything from really changing. And then I listen to Eric, you know, who was just talking, who's got a positive spin in part because I think the younger generations through TikTok, through these social networks that are sort of breaking the paradigm and the narrative, like the, like the young person, the young woman that was talking to, to Marianne a, a few nights ago, you could see that that girl, albeit she's a young person, she had a lot of knowledge and she could speak to the points that Marianne was making that were incorrect. And Marianne couldn't say much, right? And, mm -hmm. and that's the hope that I think that we have with the younger generations. If the powers that be don't make it so that these networks are nullified and then are made, they're made to carry the, the same narrative that we've had for many decades on the regular mainstream media. Uh, as long as the, we have this uh, democracy of, 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 of networks, you know, whether it's YouTube, 
although they all have limitations, we can still we're still getting more information today than, than when we ever were before, right? That's where we're getting so educated. Uh, and, and there's hope in that. But, you know, I also look back at South Africa in the early 80s and many decades, I think it's multiple decades of, of, of uh, activists, protests, uh, boycotting South Africa, that it would actually, you know, that would go away. But it took multiple decades for this to happen. It didn't happen overnight. Uh, and it took uh, political uh, activists, uh, economic pressure, boycotting, and just making them be ashamed. Uh, the one big difference that I want to say with the South African uh, apartheid is that uh, relative to what we have in Israel, Israel seems to have this really strong hold, not only through APAC, but through the mainstream media and the powers that be at the very top of these conglomerate companies that are you know, essentially pushing the news to us. They are Zionists in those media channels, media outlets or whatever you want to call them that are in some way or another controlled by the Zionists. So that's what makes it so difficult because you have a, a double, uh, I guess, what would you call it? A double agenda where you have the mainstream media who has Zionists at, you know, in leadership positions or even just owners of, the, of those companies that are not going to let the Zionism, you know, narrative go away. And then you have APAC who then catches the other side of the narrative from the government side. So the average person who's listening to, uh, you know, and, and this goes more for the older people that are listening to the mainstream media, <clears throat> they are in, in, in a sense caught between getting all this information and, and getting bombarded with the same message that, you know, it's Hamas, it's, it's is, Israel has a right to defend itself. When in reality, you know, like today, uh, Bree dismantled that, that gal, the, the reporter, and she wasn't prepared. <laughs> she wasn't ready for somebody who could intelligently point out a few things to say, you know, no, you're wrong. You know, let's look, let's look back 75 years. Let's look back further. Let's look at the history. Uh, let's look at the, the calorie, what did she call it? The calorie diet that, they've been, that has been imposed on Palestinians just mm -hmm. to keep them just a little bit above starvation. And then you know, going back to Norman Finkelstein, you know, I loved your interview with them. I got to listen to it again because I, I fell asleep listening to it because it was I'm I'm a little bit sick, <laughs> but I was listening oh, to no. it. I hope you feel better. Yeah, I will hopefully soon. But you know what I loved about what I'm loving about him, he's a scholar, uh, he's funny, but what he's done for me, you know, me specifically, he's this this mystified, he simplified the story of Palestine and Israel. I didn't understand until he started talking and I started listening to him for the past couple months, what has been going on there. And I love that he, every time that he gets in an interview, he's, he makes it a point of say, this is not difficult. You know, here's what it is. Here's what's wrong. Because in the past, at least for me, I always felt like I was uneducated on this subject, that I couldn't really talk about it that I didn't understand it. And so I would always second guess, okay, maybe, you know, maybe there's something here with Israel being right. But now <clears throat> with the likes of him and other shows like you and, and many others that I've been listening to completely has broken, you know, any of that narrative. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, you know, this is what's right. So I love that he's been talking about it. 
and that people like Bree, you know, like today on that on that that clip that you were showing, Savvy, completely dismantled this lady, uh, this this reporter. I'm sorry, and the reporter at the end of the interview, she was like beside herself, like she couldn't take it. Mm-hmm. And know? and could you connect the dots between? Marianne Williamson's response to the TikTok girl and Lisa's response to Brie. They're running these narratives and these positions that are just clearly outside of what people understand. And they're just incredulous when they're challenged. Marianne went into a type of condescension with the young lady because she's young. And Lisa just got unrattled with Bree and mm-hmm. tried to out talk her or over talk her and got put in her place. But clearly there is an unraveling when these people are challenged on that narrative. Yes. But I wanted to draw another point when Sabrina was covering the article by what's his name again, Sabrina? Oh, Rick Sterling. When she was um, going over his article, there was a deeply, um, anti-type of Zionist sentiment amongst the Jewish leaders of the times in the 60s, Mm. that that voice did not get, you know, frontlined in the decades to come. It was the other voice. Mm. It was the Zionist voice that consolidated. And when you hear them saying in the 60s, oh, we don't want to be listed as foreign agents and this and that because and they understood then that if they had to be registered as foreign agents the detriment that it may have caused and when they escaped that bullet again they consolidated their power they you know put money to it and became more and more powerful now it's so difficult to even get the other narrative out there i mean you have the organizations like um, Jewish Voices for Peace and this and that, but they get nowhere near the premium coverage that these APAC and Jewish lobby people get otherwise. And it's just so interesting to me to see how those things have unfolded in the decades. That's right. And, you know, Savvy, I think, you know, going back to the South Africa, again, you know, it's, it's, it's similar, but it's, it's different because of this, uh, this part of, of, of the Zionists being a part of our power structure in America and basically throughout the world for that matter, but also them being intertwined in what I call Hollywood, uh, the mainstream media, the newspapers, they are a part of that. And, you know, if, if, for anybody who has a job, you know, whoever's at the top of those, uh, say a company, there's an agenda that those leaders are sort of marching everybody to. And, you know, if, if if someone in that power in those power positions have the ability to to put their own agenda or their twist on, and they do, I mean that's just like every company. Uh, then it's very hard for a, a regular person to break through that, yeah, uh, and, and and be different and say, hey, this is wrong, and that's why you're, you're seeing a lot of people either not get jobs or maybe even getting laid off if they speak up about it. But it's important for all of us. You know, however we can do it, even if it's just educating someone else in this time to say, hey, here's why it's wrong, you know, and and however we can do that in our own way, it's slowly going to break the narrative, you know, going back to what Eric was saying, 
the gaps and the little crumbles that we're seeing in the foundation of this Zionist narrative that Israel has put together, we have to put that out there in our own way so that it becomes normalized to say Israel is an apartheid state. Israel is an oppressive state to the Palestinians. We need to get it so that it's normal. So it's okay for us to say that without, you know, getting hindered by the mainstream media or the mainstream, you know, whatever the status quo, we got to get to that point. Uh, there is hope, you know, I think there is hope because of these younger generations not buying into what's going on. Uh, you know, and I was listening to, I think there was an interview that Vivek was doing, uh, the, the, that presidential guy, uh, candidate uh, on Jimmy. And, you know, he couldn't, he still was sort of pushing the, the Israeli, um, you know, narrative. He kept, and this is what happens. Everybody wants to talk about Israel's right to defend themselves, where in reality, you know, it's Palestine who has a right to resist because they're the ones who are being occupied. But that never gets brought to the forefront, you know, by, by people, you know, whether it's Vivek or whoever, it doesn't just have to be him. But we need more voices to come out. And that's where it's important for someone like, you know, and I, I think you mentioned it, uh, DJ Khaled, his, his, his company or the people that he ultimately reports into are scientists. But, you know, he's got millions of dollars. You know, there's many other people. There's more people like that that need to come out because their voices with millions of followers, you know, for instance, let's take, for instance, uh, as an example, let's say Cardi B, who's got, I don't know how many millions of people, how many millions of followers. What would happen if Cardi B was to say, you know what, I'm on the side of these people that are getting oppressed. This shouldn't happen. What would happen? Because that makes people who may be siding on the side of Israel to say, wait a minute, I like Cardi B. Well, she, she did. Well, there you go. She did. Yeah, she she does support uh, uh, Palestine. She did come out and support the Palestinian people. Some of them have some some of the celebrities have. And, and, and you know, and that's and I think that's why she gets a lot of love, you know, and not, not necessarily that I love her music, but I think she gets a lot of respect from people because she is, you know, I remember a few years ago when she did that, you know, interview with 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 Bernie, if you remember that when she talked to Bernie and I was like, wow, this is so cool that she's doing this. Uh, and then, you know, I could, you know, close it or circle back to uh, going back to Alec Baldwin. I mean, that dude is so foolish crap, you know, because th I think he, didn't he shoot somebody last year? Didn't he accidentally shoot somebody? And it seems oh. like the guy's still there doing, you know, talking smack or whatever. But ever, all these things that have happened to Alec Baldwin have been because of his own doing, okay? Like, even when it comes to the criticism that he's gotten from the press, it's mm -hmm. because of stupid things that he has done. What father, I don't care if you're a celebrity or not, what father talks shit about their daughter and call their daughter names publicly? Yeah. yeah. Who does that? And, and, and the daughter's a minor. It's not like his daughter was an adult when this happened. She was a little girl, yeah. She was yes, a really, very yes. young. I remember that. So I'm like, yeah. like, who does these things, you know? So to me, it's just kind of like, I feel like Alec Baldwin has brought a lot of these things on himself. Just like with the situation that happened with the movie Rust, let's all remember what they just revealed. He lied about the gun. 
He lied saying that the gun just went off on its own. Now they're recharging him again because they go to see that the gun was working properly. It was him. It was him and it was his responsibility. And the producer and directors, all of them were held responsible because all of them were supposed to make sure that there were no live rounds on the set. That's something you have to do. And I've said this before when you operate in a weapon. And gun owners, if those of you who are listening are gun owners, let me know. Because the thing is, if you talk to people that are gun owners, what are they going to tell you you have to do? You always check the gun. Yeah. Yeah. And he he didn't. Oh, man. Well, yeah, he should just (laughs) lay lay low is what that guy should do. Well, when you're responsible gun owners, you just don't fool around. You know, you don't you, you don't wave the thing around and pull the trigger, even if you've been told it's a prop gun. I mean, to me, that's where the real criminal negligence comes in. You, you just don't do that. It's irresponsible. Hmm. That's why I think they got a shot at charging him, mm-hmm. you know. And he lied, Eric. He lied and said that the gun malfunctioned. It just went off, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. And then, Savvy, what do you think? I mean, with this thing that this the state court that's kind of blocking or removing Trump from the ballot box, and I guess it's placed uh, this whatever their their judgment uh, that they made has been put on hold. And what I read is that you know it's probably going to end up going to the Supreme Court for them to ultimately decide. But I mean, they are I don't know what you call it the deep state or the powers that be, but they don't want him to run. They don't want him to be there as an option because more than likely, I mean, it's highly probable that he's going to win, you know, barring, you know, him not running. uh, I mean, I just don't see how he's going to lose because there's so much more energy on his side. Uh, Biden, nobody wants Biden. Uh, People are, you know, are just fed up with them. The polls that have been taken, uh, that have been coming out, he's losing the black boat. Right, he's lose. He's lost the 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 uh, Muslim vote or, or Arabic vote. Uh, he's got just a ton of people that are not going to vote for him or just not even going to come out, you know. And so, I I think that barring Trump from getting on the ballots, I think that's the only thing they could do, other than you know maybe getting rid of him physically. <laughs> I, I don't see how he can lose just because how things are looking today. Now, I mean, there's much more time to, to, to come by, but you know, could any, can anyone see Biden debating Trump the way that Biden's been doing so poorly? They'll I mean, give him not- something. I think they're going to give him something to help him get through it. Oh. I'm not kidding. Like I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I think they're going to give him something, whether it's uppers or whatever. Happy, yeah. Some of that happy pump up juice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, and I know that it, to me, it seemed like they did that on some of the, the debates uh, uh, that he did on, uh, you know, before this presidency that that, the, that he's in. I think they did give him something because you could see that when he was on stage, he was another person. And then, uh, yeah, I I think you're right. I think they're probably going to do that. I think one of the things to keep in mind with with all, you know, Biden, Trump and all this is is that. You know, whichever one of them wins, the MIC still wins, right? The billionaires still win. And so, you know, I, I, you know, I think it's fine to, to, to talk about the horse racing covered or whatnot, but I think we should always also pivot back to that key point in that, 
you know, the red blue game is, is BS. It's a uniparty. And the only thing that's really going to change something is if you can get third party people and people who are against the money and corruption in there. Otherwise it, it's all theater and game playing. Well, you know, funny that you bring that up too, Eric, because, uh, you know, one of the, the most disingenuous guy, disingenuous politicians out there, and I follow him on Instagram is Ro Khanna. And Ro Khanna for the last several weeks and probably almost a month and a half, he's been pushing this this thing about, you know, removing money and uh, the guy's positioning himself to make himself look good and, and sort of framing himself to say, hey, I'm going to be the champion for removing money or corruption. Uh, on Instagram, that's what he's been pushing. I, I don't know what he does on Twitter because I don't have a Twitter account or an X account, but that's what he's doing on Instagram on a regular basis. How is he going to remove money from uh, corruption? How is he going to do that when he is trading stocks? He, he He's pushing a bill or something that he's bringing for, uh, forward, uh, Savvy. I would have to go read it. And I always try to go into, you know, wh whenever he posts something, I'll go in and write something there kind of saying something about, you know, the fact that he's disingenuous. Uh, but I, I got I got to share this with you, too. AI or whatever, you know, algorithms that they have in Instagram, they are now preventing us from putting certain things. So, like, if you put anything that has to do with Israel and apartheid and, and uh, atrocities, genocide, they, they'll remove your 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 post <coughs> within seconds, <coughs> less than a minute. And if you if you put you know like if you keep putting similar posts, they basically they uh, uh, they don't take your account away, but they they basically disable your ability to put any posts for like a week. Uh, the longest now is, was almost like four or five days for me. So you know Instagram is censoring what you write there uh, if it's based on Israel. And now it, uh, actually you know I, I was putting in a hashtag that was saying do not vote for Republicans or, or Democrats. Right. I was putting the hashtag for like maybe like almost over a month. Uh, just once in a while, I would put it. Well, now, if I put that ha same hashtag this week, I try to do it, it. It didn't let me do it. It removed my post right away. So there they don't want you to say anything to not to tell people not to vote. So you have to get creative on what you're going to put, because otherwise they'll remove your post. And see, that was the point that I was making earlier about. You know, there is really just really no way in because, you know, the EU is taking must to task about things that appear on X or Twitter as it was. And so they're they're doing everything they can to control the narrative. Mm -hmm. And so to your earlier point where you said, oh, if Cardi B comes out in support of this, that, and a third, or any of the other people who have these large platforms of followings, at the end of the day, they have a way of neutralizing it. Because if, just like with Kanye, if you, or um, the basketball player, if you get too far out of line, they still have the major strings to reel you in, whether you have millions of followers or millions of dollars, or it just doesn't matter. The powers that be can reel you in, force your hand. And, you know, so, and, and then when you look at our system, the frailty of it, you know, is no matter which way you go, like Eric was just saying, you're going to end up at some point either dealing with mutually unacceptable options. So 
you know, Biden's coalition is falling apart, but then on the other side is Trump. And if it's not Trump, you have um, Nikki Haley or Vivek Ramaswamy or, you know, it's just either which way you go. It's just mutually unacceptable options with respect to what the masses need. And what I see is all over the, you know, the planet for the most part, these people are consolidating their control over the narrative, over the people, over the work. I just heard this thing today about um, Francis. Um, there's some disruption going over over there because Macron has put forth this um, piece of legislation that's going to change their immigration and it'll make it easier for them to get rid of, you know, the ones they consider the illegals. And then it's going to put all kind of constraints on the ones who are, you know, immigrants who are working in this and that. And we see the same energy here, but yet there's no reflection on the policies of these nations that create the need or create the impetus for the other people to migrate to different countries. It's just, you know, it's just so rigid. I just, you know, and at this point when we see that what our system really needs is a third option, the two major parties have come together to subvert any opportunity for a third option. They they come together on that. No, it, yeah, no, and you're correct, Noel. I mean, you know, one of the things that the deep state or the people that are behind behind the curtain, if you will, that are actually the ones that are actually pulling the strings or pushing the agendas, what they have, the big advantage that they have is, for one, we don't know who they are, uh, but they're able to pull all the powers together to move the agenda in the, in the direction that they want. Also, the other thing that they have is they have longevity. So where a president may maybe have two terms, these people that are behind the, the curtain, they can have 10, 20, maybe even 30 years that are in behind on these power positions that are sort of pushing and creating the, the, the agenda for the country. And, you know, they have unlimited resources. You know, that's why, you know, the, 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 the Pentagon has these audits that they can't pass for their budgets because they're pushing the money around and moving the money as they see fit. And they have these long-term, you know, plans to do what they're going to do for the resources and so on. Uh, and so it becomes very hard for a normal person, you know, that maybe for, for, let's say an average person, maybe they get into their thirties and forties and they start to figure out what's really going on. It just, it's hard, you know, to, 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 to kind of break through, but you know, we got to go back to what Eric was saying. We have to we have to believe that there's going to be a, a hope, an opportunity uh, for something better. You know, there has to be something down the road. You know, we, we just don't know how long it's going to take or what form that will be. You know, what breakthroughs are going to come. You know, I, I don't know. We haven't had and I know, you know, Roger, who does who doesn't like talking about leaders, you know, because we should be the leaders. It should be leaderless. Right. But. You know, history in history, there's always someone that we point to or some sort of something. But 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 everything that has come about has been through movements because people, the masses push an agenda and then the powers that be essentially have to bend to what we're asking for eventually. Uh, and, and, and that's where maybe the hope is, you know, for us to, to, to continue to work on the movements or whatever it is that we can work together as the common everyday person 
uh, to move the needle in our direction. Uh, but, it, you know, but it's not going to happen overnight, you know, and, and, and so, but again, you know, I know, Noel, you have much more uh, understanding of the long-term view of how we got into where we are and, you know, how, how hard it is to sort of break through the patterns that we have. I want to give somebody else a chance, Savvy, but thank you for letting me talk. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eric. Okay, let's bring in Ashura. What's up, Ashura? You are on the mic. All right. Hello. And by the way, I was before Eric, the the call-in kicked me out. Oh, no, I'm sorry. What's yeah. up? What's on your mind? Uh, the RFK, not RFK, the JFK thing you were doing. Every time you were reading, I was getting, like, my own version of, like, a movie about it. Like, every time you read it, I could picture what the fuck was going on. <laughs> That would be a good movie, huh? Yeah, but but how many of the movie would be good about it? Like, it's like when when you have these presidents who seem radical or or not really moderate, but they have a conscience and they they want some kind of world, but not really a world order, but but some some sort of peace in the world. That was that was that last guy. He was that last guy. I don't know about RFK's father if he was the same as um, JFK. But after that, those two died. The apple, pesky, the, the apples, they, they just rotted. Mm-hmm. The fact that RFK likes to brag about it because he's got the, he's got the, uh, what's the, what I'm looking for? He's got the privilege of being a Kennedy. So that means they can fucking lie about the family, about those two, because nobody knows about them because they're family. So they can just say whatever the fuck they want. And it'll be in the, at the behest of the establishment and the Democrat and the Democratic Party. Was the word you were looking for was clout? And uh, privilege was the word, but clout, okay. clout is good. As, yeah, yeah. I, I would say I think uh, Norm Finkelstein was right when he said that RFK is just simply an opportunist. Well, yeah, that's that too. Because what the fuck does he have other than just COVID and? Uh, the mandates, and you, 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 you can't even talk about like, uh, uh, what do you call it? That, that, the deep state, um, censorship. Like this guy is pro censorship. Yep, he's pro censorship. And when it comes to the vaccine and mandates, he's also pro man, pro, pro vaccine and mandate. Because there's a point where I saw him in an interview. Where he was they were trying to talk about the mandates. He said, "Oh, I'm not against science and everything, but I would love to have at least some form of de- uh, uh, mandate or some shit." I'm like, you're not even for that shit either. I tried to tell people about that. I tried to tell people, let's all remember, RFK Jr. at one point was also in favor of the mandates. Like, everybody didn't have the position on COVID right at the very beginning. You know, not everyone did. And, you know, if people evolve, I think it's great. Like, okay, great, you evolved. But I think when people criticize other people by saying, well, RFK was right, in reference to the mandates and COVID, in reference to COVID, I'm like, okay, but he wasn't right in the beginning. In the beginning, he supported the mandates. So my thing is, why don't people have that same type of criticism towards him as they do to other people who weren't right in the beginning, but got it later on and came around? For example, Jill Stein. I asked Jill Stein about her opinion about the mandates and stuff. She did not agree with the Green Party's decision, which, by the way, it wasn't even the entire party. It was like, I think three people 
on that board who actually made that statement and that decision. It's just like, you know, it was mandated at my job. Did I agree with it? No, I didn't, but I can't control what my employer says. So the thing is, is that when she said in my interview how she felt and as a doctor, like we should have looked at other things and yada, yada. What was funny was that some people, when I posted that clip on Twitter, they were like, nah, it's too late, it's too late. Jill Stein, I never remember Jill Stein being in favor of the mandates. I never remember her being in favor of that. You gotta remember we're in the same state. So the state was shut down and we saw a lot of businesses go under because of that. So the thing is, what was interesting to me, those same people were willing to give RFK Jr. the benefit of the doubt, even though he was wrong in the beginning about the mandates, but they're not willing to give Jill Stein the benefit of the doubt. And she was actually right, had the correct position about the mandates in the beginning. And that just goes to show you, it's a cult of personality. People get attached to these personalities, not necessarily the policies, but they're getting attached to a personality. And that's dangerous because even when that person is wrong, they can't see it and they won't push back on it. Yeah, because I know Jill Stein was against the vaccines because it it goes back, I think, 2016. I think I made fun of her for being against vaccines because I didn't really look what what a vaccine was until later on, basically with the pandemic, I realized that the word vaccine is just a fucking immunobooster. It's not some cure. Well, you have to be careful. Vaccines are supposed to be preventative. Supposed to be preventative. Yeah, well, not well, all vaccines aren't the same. So it, it's actually, I think it's a mistake too, to just say vaccines or, or the vaccine, you know, some, something like the, the, the polio vaccine is, is I think widely considered rightly so to be a miracle of science saved, you know, literally billions of lives. Something like the, the COVID vaccine is, you know, a miracle of big pharma profits and it's <laughs> questionable what it does. Because for me, when I see the word cure, I think of something you take it every day until it gets rid of your illness. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of things, you know, there's treatments, there's cures. That's why, you know, the, these things, it's it, it's not good to just speak about them broadly. You really have to dig down and say, you know, what are we really talking about here? And, and how does it really operate? What is it really? Apparently, yeah, I'm in a Jill Stein ad. Um, this was brought to my attention recently. <laughs> What? Um, yeah, apparently I'm yeah, a, I'm sent, a Jill Stein ad. Yeah, I sent that to you. Yeah, I was like, oh, oh okay, I didn't know that was there, but yeah, um, uh, because it's taken from my interview. Mm-hmm. They created ads for her campaign, and it's part. It's like different pieces of the interview. Did they ask you first? Obviously no, not. But, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, they so did. They they did but I mean, they, they don't. They technically they don't have to because it's fair use, right? But yeah. it would be a good courtesy. But all right, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because you're a news person. But it still would be a, a good courtesy. But <laughs> that's okay. why I sent it to you. I mean, they did. They don't. They never ask. I don't think because I remember. Um, what's his face? Um, Rome. I don't know if everybody remembers this, but Rome was in Bernie ads. Do you guys remember that? Nope. But then yeah. again, yeah, at this no point, I don't think Rome cares anymore about Bernie Sanders. He probably wasn't space out. We, we we knew Rome after Bernie, so I guess when he appeared in those ads, he was, I guess he was just another, another person. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's so a that good. Would point. Make, that would make sense. Um, 
I mean, I, I knew who he was mm-hmm. because he was still on Twitter. Um, but yeah, him, like he was, he was in a Bernie ad. Um, like he knew Nina Turner and everything. Uh, in a- oh, let's, let's not forget. Uh, I don't, I don't, cause I, I don't want people to forget this out of all of the RFK's vaccine, no vaccine, this, that, that, the other thing. The man is not for single payer health care, which no. would have, you know what I mean? So for, for for all his talk about, you know, this, that, the vaccines, the mandates, blah, 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 blah. Look, the, the countries that had single payer health care fared more during the whole, you know, COVID lockdown crisis or whatever the case was. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like mm. you bring them up to the point and then... No, you know, and not, and let's not forget, he's also against reparations. He well, he has his he has his own reparations package for us. Like you, we didn't ask you for your package; we're asking you to accept our package. He was trying <laughs> to tell us tell us what to get, and then on top of that, telling us how we need to spend it. And I was like, "Say what now?" But no, the thing is, I brought that up earlier on. I brought that up back when RFK Jr. was running through the Democratic Party, and I said. If he's serious about, you know, making sure that people have safe vaccines and talking about COVID as much, that's still a healthcare issue. Yeah. So again, you should be in favor of single payer healthcare. This is when I realized that RFK Jr. was was a fraud. Because mm-hmm. how are you gonna be running on a healthcare issue, but you don't want everybody to have healthcare? Well, that's that that's the thing when exactly. he was on the he was on Jimmy's show, even Jimmy brought that up. Because I remember Jimmy gets very personal when it comes to healthcare. Because he brings up the story how he had that bone disease and he had to use Steph's life savings to basically cure him of it. Well, I don't, I don't think he still has it, but there are even people in his chat that when he explains about Medicare for all, like they don't fucking get. It. They want to do the they want the establishment version of it because they keep watching Fox News, so they believe the garbage that Fox News tells them. And I remember one guy said to super chat Jimmy Dorland. I'm like, why, why are you super chatting dumb shit? Because you, you're not getting that money back. So he said, oh, I don't know what you talk about Medicare for all. I don't need no Medicare for all. Uh, I don't want the government in, in my fucking business. And Jimmy went on this, went on that shit. Like, nobody, he doesn't really respond to super chats. But he saw that one. He really went off it. Like, are you fucking stupid? Do you not know you, you, fuck, you, you that that's the like number one reason why you basically go into debt is healthcare. And even when RFK was on the show, RFK basically wasn't even for single pair. He wasn't even for, for Medicare for all. He even glossed over it. Even Jimmy was like looking at him, was like, "Nah, this this dude's like he's pro big pharma." Yeah, he he also said that on Breaking Points. He said that he wasn't in support of it. Yeah, he said I wanted some kind of health care, but uh, single pair health care. But it did make sense when he said it. But then you realize he wants to keep the same health care system. Exactly. But you know, healthcare is a big segment of the capitalist pie. And so if you're all for capitalism and this and that, you understand intuitively what single payer would do to that healthcare industry. And people are more concerned about, well, what would happen to all the money that the people, you know, who work for big pharma or healthcare insurance and this and that, they're not concerned about every, everybody's health. They're concerned about the capital aspects of it. And so, you know, and you see the, the pushback Bernie got when he was talking about Medicare for all. 
the this system is just so twisted up. How you gonna pay for it? Yeah, <laughs> that should be Nate knows how we gotta pay for it. How about shut down the military industrial complex? Basically, cut it, cut the slash slash the funding for other bases. In fact, shut down the bases. So I'm sorry, no but I, I really think black like um black Americans. Well, let me say, phrase that differently. African American descendants of slavery. I'm sorry, but I really do think that the pushback should be the fact that our country gives $8.3 billion a year to Israel, but they still haven't paid reparations to African-American descendants of slavery in this country. That should yeah. be the talking point. That should be the talking point, Roger. I'm, I'm dead serious. No, they, they've already been using that. They've, they've, they've been saying that. I had um, to, to address what Noel was saying about uh real quick before i go to the rest reparations so when you said that people are concerned about the capitalists will lose money that's not the weapon they use against us the weapon they use against us are the workers who work in those industries when they say well what's going to happen to all the people who have jobs in those healthcare industries you're going to put them out of work right so my solution to that would be cut them a check for $150,000 and then they could find it, find another, they have enough time to find another job. Okay. So that, that's one, but, but, but also, um, we, I, I don't know if you saw it, Sabrina, but we passed, um, they, the, the governor signed the thing for the HR. It's, it's our, it's a New York version of HR 40. I saw which, it. And the reparationist community is pissed the hell off. That's because, not. Oh, go ahead. Because they made it race based instead of lineage based, and it's just really a study like HR forty. So what the fear is is that that will put a a, a setback in the reparationist movement when the court strike it down by saying, "Oh, it's based on race." So I'm thinking, was this something insidious by the Democrats? for you know for the election coming up to see you know black people are kind of like falling out of they've fallen out of favor with, with black people and just something to get them coming to the polls and you know and just for it to be you know kind of like how you know biden had the chance to relieve all student debt using the 1965 higher education act but he goes oh i'm gonna pretend i'm stupid and i'm gonna do the heroes act which then then say uh, COVID is no longer a crisis so that it could get shut down so that when it's brought to us again, we could say, well, we tried it. It didn't work and hope that people's memory is not that long. You know what I mean? So the reparation community is pissed off. Anyway, what, what are we going to say? My bad. Uh, well, of course it is, Roger. I mean, come on. You you don't think Democrats are not going to throw you a bone? They're throwing you the bone. They've already eaten the chicken off the bone. So they're <laughs> giving you some, 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 some weird bullshit and say, oh, that's reparations. By putting race, because now every white person who basically had some some connection to very wealthy families could say, "Well, guess what? If it's by race, I guess I need some money too." Yeah, but it's going to get struck down because it violates the Fourteenth Amendment. Yeah, no, it's on purpose. They they they, they know by lineage. They're doing it on purpose. Uh, when it comes to the the three uh, Israelis that got shot, man. Now that that the, the whole idea of Israel doesn't shoot their own people, uh, the, the I think the the, the Dahia doctrine, 
I think it's called, where they just shoot their own people. Like, if it's soldiers, they'll shoot their soldiers just not to get any... Hannibal. Hannibal Hannibal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, they're basically doing that shit to their own people. Like, how the fuck do you shoot three three chest naked, like, fucking dudes and, and think they're Hamas? And then when, when you gun down, too, the other one runs because they see you gunning them down, and then you gun them down also. Because that reminds me of... Uh, Killing Gaza, where you had that scene where they, they, the UN people were walking around with that guy looking for his family, and then a sniper snipes him, and he's like lying there, two shots in, in the chest, and then he's like praying as he dies, and his family said they saw him, and they basically, he hang out just a bit just to say his last words. When you were reading that part, that reminds me of that scene right there, when they chased the guy and they shot him, and the guy was just like saying something and he just died and then they lied about it because mm-hmm. they, they will kill their own people i mean I, I was watching a video on the jimmy door show where they were putting water in some kind of tunnel and <laughs> jimmy was like well i guess they're trying to drown their, drown their own people now well the other thing too i was going to mention is that notice how um there's no accountability for them killing hostages the hostages that they claim to care so much about. Oh, they 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 want them dead. They don't care. It's it's a right. It's been a right wing government for decades. And here's the thing, and this is the point that I cannot get away from in this whole response to October seventh. If you control the entrance, the exit, the airways, the waterways, why do you have to drop bombs anyway? There's nowhere for anybody to run. And they can't stay in the tunnels forever. But this was just an excuse to bomb indiscriminately. And, you know, you herd them to the south, then you bomb them to the south, they go to the north. It's just like one of those pinball machines at the circus where the ducks or rabbits or whatever go back and forth and you try and shoot them. That's what it reminds me of. There is just no justification for what we are witnessing when Israel controls so much of the movement in that whole area. And it's only like they say 25 miles. So it's like, why do you need to do all this? You're just doing the most because you want to ethnically cleanse and do a genocide on these people. And that's just period. That's the only reasonable explanation to why you have so much bombing and you're aiming at the institutions, you know, the hospitals, everything that would be necessary for life to move on as in normal, you're making sure it is destroyed. It just makes no sense. And you keep saying, oh, we got to get Hamas, we got to get Hamas. But you got to get Hamas if that means destroying everybody and you still don't get Hamas. It's just crazy. And And, and it is what it is. And everybody on this planet sees what it is. But we just don't have the leadership with the moral centering and courage to say we need to do something different. This isn't working. You know, it takes people protesting to even get Biden to to begin to moderate his language around this. But he still opens the door saying, oh, we give unqualified support to Israel, this and that. Then he says, but we're encouraging them to do something more strategic and this and that. But you come right up front 
with the pledge of support. And that's just what we see coming out of all of these people. It's like, when do you put the lives of the the people who are being oppressed first? But it's crazy. It's like quick when I see people talking about like the the three Jews, like the the guy with the red hair. Like people tell me, like the, uh, when I watch a documentary, they said that the Jews and the uh, Palestinians they looked the same back then. You couldn't make a difference. So the only the only people that basically stayed the same was the Palestinians, but the the is the is the, well the Jew the the Jews themselves these are basically just colonials basically offsprings of colonials and just a bunch of converts because a normal Palestinian or a Jew back in the day would probably look the same. Mm. I mean that's that's a really good point. I think that it's just the thing the thing that really stands out to me is the fact that. Everybody was cool and chill and living together just fine. Yep. And Zionism ruined that. What's that Zionism? It's basically Europe. And, and I've noticed this. They did it to Africa and they did it to the Arabs. Any fucking place that's much bigger than fucking Europe, because if you look at Europe, all these countries, Europe has to be a slice of land. Uh, Germany's a slice of land. And if you compare it to a united land, well, that's a threat to you. Right, so what do you do? You break them into itty bitty pieces. Like, look at Africa. It used to be a huge chunk of land, even though when they broke Africa to multiple countries. Mm. But if they were together, one people, there was no way they could basically overthrow Africa or or the Middle East because they have to keep the Arabs and the brown people divided. Well, just remember, it's all about money and resources, right? You know, that's the colonial settler project is to extract that out. And um, and just steal it, basically. And, you know, that that's what's happening in Israel. And it needs to be called out as such. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it seems to me that the Ottoman Empire was a threat to them. If you look at the landmass, bigger than Israel. No, not bigger than Europe. Bigger than basically, well, let's say Europe. Like, if you go by section, bigger than them. Because they couldn't have the Arabs being one people. Instead of having, like, you could have had a portion, a, a place in the Ottoman Empire called Jordan, a portion called Syria, but it would have been the Ottoman Empire. Exactly. Whatever the name the Ottoman Empire would have been. If, I, I sometimes wonder, what if they let the Ottoman, Ottoman Empire thrive, and what would it look like today? Oh. That's, that's a really good question. Another, another thing I might say might be controversial but since I, I see we're having a hard time getting BDS off the ground, well, to, to, not really off the ground, more like to do some damage against the Israel lobby. I wonder if it would have been better if they just got Africa as they wanted, because the African one was very successful compared to what's going on with with uh, with Palestine. I don't know. I mean, I think they'd still end up with the same issues. Um you don't think it would have still been successful? Well, the past thing would be their own thing. I don't I don't know. I think that, you know, that African nations I I do think tend to be more accustomed to rising up and saying fuck this. Okay. Um compared to some other nations, it's just something I've noticed. Um 
And even if we talk about like what's going on in the Congo right now, like essentially you do have a group, right? The the M23 like rebels that decided to rise up, right? And do their own thing. So I think that, um, again, I, I think that um, it may not have worked out the same way. Okay. What's going on with the Congo, by the way? Nobody's talking about what well, is it the Congo? Well, some some country where there's a guy who got who burned himself to death. Nobody's talking about that one. And from what I read, they say it's the it's it's a militia group that's doing all the damage. I just did. Th- th- so it's not true that no one's talking about it. I think it's just the people you're watching aren't talking about it. Um, Breakthrough News has covered the Congo. Uh, I know. I covered it recently. I I just did maybe like a week ago, an interview with Margaret Kimberly, all about the Congo. Um, RBN has covered the Congo. JB has covered the Congo. So people, people are talking about it. Um, I think when it comes to that type of stuff, you need to look into it. Like Danny Haifong has covered it. You need to look at people who are covering more foreign policy. I think Garland Nixon has also uh, covered the Congo. So people are talking about it. I think it's just who you're watching. Yeah, and uh, Alec Baldwin thing. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm a bit conflicted about it because normally, if someone's just handling your prop, wouldn't be the uh, the prop thing be somebody else's problem than Alec Baldwin's problem? Well, according to what the officer said when I first covered that story is that when it comes to the actual set, it is the responsibility of the actor and the directors. They were, there were three of them that they said were responsible, the director, Alec Baldwin. And I think it was another uh, producer or something like that, that it is their responsibility. This is what was established by, by production. So it's not like the officer made these rules. Okay, so because I thought maybe I thought maybe it's the prop person they're supposed to check it and give it to him. You were, but even still, you are supposed to. This is what is written in in their their contract. Okay, you are, because you are handling that gun, you are still supposed to check it, which Alec Baldwin did not do, and that's why that girl was dead. So are they going to go against a whole lot of them or just Alec Baldwin as the fall guy? Because he, he has anger issues, so he's the easy one. So the charge against him is going to be the most serious because he's the one that actually shot the gun. But, yeah, and, and somebody mentioned in the chat, like, how the fuck does real ammo gets mixed up <laughs> with the fake ones? You would think only the fake ones would be in, in that prop gun. It's a prop gun. But that's But that's the thing, Ashura. That was the question they never answered. When I covered this a couple of months ago, when this story first broke and I covered a couple months ago, they never they never were able to answer that question. Like, how did that happen? So that might I, be I a- believe that the um, that, that they have charged and convicted the armor who is the person who was acting as as, as armor. Yeah, because I was I was up. going I was going to go there, Eric, in some conspiracy theory that maybe but, and then. Well, Maybe. before you go to that, I, the other thing to keep in mind is that, is that legally more than one people, more than one person can be held 
liable legally, criminally for, for the, the negligence. So it doesn't have to be just down to one person. And, okay. and I think that the live ammunition, I, I think sometimes on these sets and what they, they use it cause it's, um, they like the sound of it. Like it's, it's hard to get like the same audio stuff. So they, and, and I think it was just a loose set where they were just fooling around with, with this stuff is just really bad practices. And I think that that's also part of the criminal negligence. And, and like I said before, I think just waving a gun around and pulling the trigger is, is just inherently criminal negligence. I didn't realize they, they got, um, they charged the prop guy at the time when I covered it. It was a woman. Happened. Okay. Yeah. The I'll look it up. Yeah. The time when I covered it, that hadn't happened, but, um, but the thing is, uh, Ashura, anytime you handle a firearm, you always supposed to check first. That's by the way, that's multiple situations. So it's not just this happened on a set that's in life in general. And these are the kind of things that you learn when you when you go to get a license to carry a firearm. This is all explained. And like, I don't I don't even carry firearm, but friends of mine who do, they've explained this to me multiple times like they've explained how this works you as the person handling the firearm are responsible do you think it must it might have been maybe a murder like so let's say not our boldly per se but somebody wanted somebody dead maybe because yeah, our Baldwin has the gun <laughs> let's say he was being asked to someone someone's like you know what let me put some real bullets in this shit and just make his life a living hell you've been watching too many movies <laughs> No, I've been listening to too many. Well, I've been listening to too many Sabrina doing conspiracy theories. Well, one of the things that that I I did mention uh, back then was that there were there were issues with the girl that the woman that was killed. There yeah. was some issues with her. I have to look it back up because I haven't covered this in a while. But if I remember correctly from what I was reading, there were some issues with her in reference to I think maybe maybe she had some information. I can't remember everything, but. There were those issues and that actually drove people to ask those questions as well. Like, was this on purpose? Was this intentional or whatever? But I mean, again, like Alec Baldwin may get like 18 months, right? Like in prison. Mm -hmm. But Jonathan Majors, his career is ruined. Is gone. You can, yeah, you know, I was, was going to. I was going to ask you if you're going to bring it up tonight or if it was okay to say about tonight or are you going to wait for JB to talk about it? JB and I are going to cover it on Thursday because we we need to talk about this and the the type of the type of um what do you call it? Discrimination yeah. or yeah, uh, and, and bias? And, and, and favoritism and bias yeah. towards certain people because the thing is Alec Baldwin killed someone. Whether he meant to do it or not, someone's life is gone. Jonathan Majors actually had, they had video footage from the bar that his ex-girlfriend was at at that time. They were able to prove back then that he actually did not injure her, did not cause bruises on her. But now they come back and say that he has been, you know, found guilty. And I'm like, but didn't the camera show that she wasn't even there at the time that she said that she was? So now it's just, it's, it's a mess. But the thing is, is this, they've already dropped him from Marvel and all that shit. That's how fast they move 
when it's a black celebrity convicted of 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 crimes. That's how quick. Look how quickly they moved to shut down Dave Chappelle. Look how quickly they moved to shut down Kyrie Irving. But here we are, and Alec Baldwin actually took someone's life, and he has not been blacklisted from Hollywood. Think about that. Yeah. yeah Mel Gibson. Yeah, Mel Gibson told his girlfriend at the t- told his girlfriend that he hoped that she got. I'm gonna say it on here, but he hoped that she got sexually assaulted by the N word. By a bunch of N words. Exactly. Mel Gibson has not been blackballed from Hollywood. And if we want to talk about people that have been basically taken down because they criticized like Israel, I want to remind all you some of the things that Mel Gibson said about Jewish people when he made the film The Passion of the Christ and Mel Gibson still is not blacklisted from Hollywood. I guess connections. I guess it's probably connections. He's still producing. He's still making films. That's what I was trying to tell people. You know, also, this, so I was just looking at um, this this sister, uh, AKA black woman, woman, in case anybody don't know what I'm talking about, right? Um, In Ohio, who has been charged for by the i think a da or attorney general for because she had a miscarriage okay they're saying they said that uh charging her with abuse of a corpse or something like that necrophiliac Uh, say it again necrophiliac i don't know but I, i i was just watching it when i was on with you guys and the thing is, okay, so she said that she went to the hospital and they weren't like treating her or something like that. And then and then I think she like she, went home or something like that. Go ahead. She um well, you know, we passed the legislation to legalize abortion here, but she was passed the fifteenth or whatever week it was, and so she right. went to the hospital. And they said that um, the situation was not as dire enough for that point. And they sent her home with the antibiotics and she felt really bad. And she went to the restroom and that's where the she had like the, the uh, spontaneous type of miscarriage. And mm. she when she went back to the hospital, she told the nurses that she had to discard you know, the fetus or whatever had dropped in the toilet. And that's when the, the nurses, I think, contacted the police and this and that. And so that's what led to this whole big thing. But it is essentially a person who was having a miscarriage is now being charged with abuse of a corpse because they're saying when she went to the restroom and the tissue um, fell out and she discarded it. She was abusing a corpse or this or that. It's just really, and you know, I can't imagine the amount of the layers of pain that's being added to you on top of the fact mm-hmm. that you, you know, you lost a child and now you're being charged. And it's just like, what kind of sense does this make? It well, makes why? no sense whatsoever. Why are they charging you with a corpse if the fetus is just flesh? 
because they're know. saying it was a, a child, it was a fetus, and she discarded it. Uh, so, didn't did she? Yeah. Uh, well, like you I, said, it well. Didn't she just like went to the? She went to the bathroom, and all of a sudden, it just came out. Or did she just? Yeah, well, it out? Uh, sure. Part of the whole anti-abortion game is to categorize fetuses as full human beings, and so they they're doing this. It's it's all political, but it, it's of a piece of trying to to categorize it as a person is what they're doing. Yeah, because so, to me it doesn't make sense when they when they say that because there's no there's no bone, there's no skin, no tissue, no organs, no nothing. How is it going to survive outside if it drops out? Anyways, go ahead, Roger. So, so I want to connect that with Jonathan Majors. Maybe how in the world are you going to connect that with Jonathan Majors? I will tell you how you connect that with Jonathan Majors. So, Sabrina, you said he's not going to work again, so on and so forth. That would not, and and the woman the sister who went home because she got some, because they kind of like this God, oh, just take some antibiotics, right? That would not happen if we had our own institutions. You see what I'm saying? He would be able to get work when he came out of prison, when he comes out of prison. We would have our own things set up. You see what I'm saying? If we owned our own medical institutions, this sister would not have been um, just, oh, take some antibiotics and go home. Oh, that happened? We're going to charge you. You feel what I'm saying? So it goes back to the talk of universal policies and progressivism and so on and so forth. If you take a look at progressivism, it has not always worked in Black people's favor. So when you, so when a lot of white leftists make this argument about Oh, let's get on board for a class issue because it, it's going to help everybody. I say, well, history has shown not so. Okay. We've either been left out. Okay. Just take a look. Woodrow Wilson was considered very progressive, but his policies made sure that Black people, Black, we, matter of fact, the, the Black middle class dropped under Woodrow Wilson while he was doing antitrust and doing all this other progressive stuff against big corporations and so on and so forth. Same thing, FDR, we already know the story with that. We were left out of the GI Bill and you know, I don't have to go through the whole thing with redlining and so on and so forth. Or what was meant for us went towards someone else like affirmative action going to Hillary Clinton, you know, a, a white working class woman, or that policy actually hurt us like interstate like um ike's interstate highway system that barreled through independent um black com independent economically sustainable black communities you feel what i'm saying so in this whole thing with you know what i'm saying if if you have to use leverage with these people then when they come to us and they say Hey, get down on board with the universal policies. We'll fight it. We'll fight for black stuff later and so on and so forth. I was like, no, but then we have no leverage. <laughs> if we have no leverage, you get what you want. Oh, no, but it'll help you too. History has shown that it has not helped us. So if you wanted to help us and you want our help and you want us to get down with, with your universal and progressive policies, well, then we're going to require this. We can't just have a tri care for all. Okay. We have to also within that 
have our own medical institutions, have our own infrastructure set up so that, you know, I mean, look, if you take a look at, like, for instance, uh, this might be a bad example, but a lot of these guys, the, the, the mob, they, they, they go to jail, they come out, no one's going to hire them, so the mob hires them again. I mean, it might be, like, criminal, but at least they have something to come back to to help a job they could come back to to help support their family or whatever the case is. You see what I'm saying? So pretty much that's how I was like connecting all of that. And one more thing. Uh, I'm pretty sure you know about how the Colorado Supreme Court kicked Trump off the ballot. So Vivek Ramaswamy took himself off the Colorado ballot as well. I just, what? I just, I just yeah, saw that on that's Twitter. Some, that's some bullshit from Vivek. He must be well, he's not. He know he doesn't have a chance anyway, and this could be his way of kind of pandering to Donald Trump to be his VP. Oh God damn I'm it! Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm just looking at it for what it is. Like, why would he yeah. make this play unless there was something maybe in it for him? And this is also puts pressure on other uh, candidates to see if they're willing to do the same thing. And then maybe Trump may take a look back and be like, well, Vivek stood with me. So maybe I'll pick him as my VP. Yeah, because that's some bullshit. I was surprised Roger told me that shit because when he was on the Jimmy Dore show, like, they they were okay on the vaccine mandates, but once they got into the whole foreign policy shit, that's when Vivek basically he couldn't keep his cool. <laughs> Jimmy wasn't buying it. There's a point where he was talking about oh Israel has a right to defend itself, and Jimmy's like, how does it have a right to defend itself if he's if it's the occupier? There's a point he's bringing up the UN Charter at some point. If Vivek tries to stop him, then Vivek says, I can't see what the video you're showing me. I'm like, wait, uh, when somebody's talking to you, Sabrina, could they basically just go on there from their computer, go on YouTube, put you on screen and just mute you and just react to what you're saying? If like you show them a video, can they not do that? So first of all, it depends on what streaming service that you are using. So I use StreamYard. When I've been on Jimmy's show in the past, Jimmy did not use StreamYard. Every see, all of us don't use the same thing. Some people use OBX, which I absolutely cannot stand. I don't like OBX. I think StreamYard is the easiest, uh, most um, inclusive platform. Meaning that StreamYard has everything, everything you need in that one little system, right? Some people use Zoom. Um, some people use. There's another one called Streamlabs. Some people use that one. So. We don't all use the same platform. Now, when you use StreamYard, they can see it because, and Eric can tell you this, because anytime I share, when you're sharing your screen, the person who's there with you can see what you're sharing. That's how StreamYard works like that. However, when it comes to things like OBX, People have had issue with that before. I went on someone's show, I think this was like two years ago, and they were using OBX and I couldn't see what they were sharing. Okay. And so it, it depends on, I don't know what the streaming service is that he uses for that show. I know like when I have been on the show before in the past, like I was given a Zoom link, but you could be given a Zoom link, but they could be using OBX or they could be using Streamlabs. That's the thing. There's also a platform called Riverside, which some people like some of the people on um, RT, some of the RT shows use that. So it depends on what you're using. But StreamYard, this is why, like, because Eric and I had this conversation before that stream StreamYard is the easiest, most comprehensive streaming platform to use. 
Yeah, because yeah, we definitely agree on StreamYard. Now, Sabrina, when you were on um, on the Jimmy Dore show, was it just like a Zoom meeting? I was your given, end? I was given a Zoom link, but you can be given a Zoom link, and they can be using OBX. So, what like, I mean, oh, by the way, I, I think you mean OBS Studio. Whatever, because OBS, like, I'm sorry, yeah. OBX is an outer bank. Sorry, but um. Uh, <laughs> Because like, well, what I'm asking when on, is when I was on Indie Left show yeah. back in the day, I was given a Zoom link, but he was using OBS Studio. So that's that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, OBS Studio. Yeah, it's, it's an open source um, package. And yeah, it's not for the for the faint of heart, put it that way. <laughs> you definitely have to be technical to to to, re- to make it work. But uh, but my question is like, when you were on Jimmy Dore, right? If he if he was playing a video, you probably wouldn't see it, right? Because you were just seeing them in the window, right? What do you think? Uh, I know he didn't play one while you were on there, but. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if there was one played when I was on there. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not really sure. But it might be the case. I, I think it would often be the case that the person on the other end won't see these extra things. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it all it all depends. Also, was Vivek using his computer or was he using his phone? Uh, I think he was standing, and, and the way I thought he was being a state, we said, "Well, I can't see what you're seeing because I'm looking into a camera." That's what he said. Then that means okay. So if he was just looking into a camera, then he probably could not see what was being shared. Yeah, because I'm yeah. So Cecil was losing, uh, looking into a camera. I was like, well, can't you just go on YouTube, just sync the show while you're basically looking into the camera, just so you can see what he's talking about? No, when, when you're on the other end of an interview like that, you you can't you can't mess around with other things. <laughs> it's uh, it's not easy being on camera. <laughs> this is why, like, when I interview someone for the very first time, I always tell them what they need for setup. So, like, for example especially if it's someone that's a candidate, I'll tell them I use StreamYard. All you need to do is click on the link and you'll be all set. However, with some of those other platforms, it doesn't work that way. So like I said, if Vivek was just using a camera, then he probably couldn't see what was being played. Yeah, okay. So I I tell people what to use. I tell them you can use your laptop, or your cell phone, but you can't just use a camera. If you just use a camera, you're not going to see what I share on the screen. Okay, so I, I thought you were just being a snake. You're just trying, trying to be like slimy and shit. Uh, so sure. to, yeah. So, so how, how did you think? Like, I haven't seen it, the the show or the interview. How did you, or anyone who has seen it? How did how did how does people think well, it went? In, in I came general, in twenty minutes late. In, in Vivek. Uh, let's say Vivek thought he was going to basically come in there and just pull some bullshit. And then he pulled some Israel shit. Um, Israel, he said some weird shit where would, 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 uh, I think Jimmy asked him, would he basically go and help Israel or go help him with the war or some shit? And he said, no, I, I want to be, I don't want to be directly in the war. I want to be, uh, 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 far away from it, but then we're going to, we're going to supply Israel what it needs. But I'm not, I'm, I'm looking at it because Jimmy didn't answer that question. But then, uh, I was like, wait, wait a minute. How can you be saying you're not going to be directly involved in the war? Indirectly, you're going to be supplying in the weapons. I think Jimmy did say that part, but I, I haven't relooked at the video because I saw it yesterday. But the, the clips are the clips are there. He didn't do himself 
any any good uh, thing because when I right after he left, they fucking called him out. They called him out within the show, and then they kept calling him out after he left. He was supposed to be there for more than thirty for the amount of time he was there. <laughs> Jimmy said apparently they they figured out what the show was, and he deliberately came late. And I'm like, what would happen if Sabrina had Vivek on? Would Vivek do the same thing to Sabrina? What do you mean? Come in late. So to be honest with you, I've never had a candidate show up late. <laughs> well, he came in late. Apparently, from from what they told on the show, he came in late. I don't know. I mean, I, I've I've never had that happen with a candidate. Um, I I've had it happen with other guests before, sometimes in the past, but I've never. I've I've never had that happen with a candidate, so I can't. Yeah, they were saying maybe it was deliberate because he to stall for time. Because even Jimmy said, I I had to basically think of things quick. But there were other stuff I wanted to get into and ask him. But because he couldn't, he couldn't. Uh, they, he didn't have enough time, so they had to let him go. But they they still still called him out. Um, in the chat, Dwayne is saying that um, JD did point out that it is a genocide, and so did Kurt, according to yeah, him. yeah. Well, Kurt was the one that surprised me because he went after Vivek <laughs> about a bunch of times. He called him out. That's what Dwayne's saying. Yeah, but I mean, like we all know, like Vivek knows he's not going to win. Like he he knows he he has no chance. So maybe that's why he didn't. Maybe that's why he showed up late. Yeah, because yeah, because that's what that's what they're saying. They said they probably figured out who, what the channel was about. Because he's probably going out on shows that basically are more right. They have like a, a right wing audience, kind of like we did with Breaking Points with RFK. So he's not gonna go see leftist channels. I don't know if he's ever been on one. If he has, CNN is probably the only one. The CNN CNN one was a joke. Abby Martin kept cutting him off. Like every time he brought up the idea of. Uh, January 6th being a a, 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 a prop. A, yeah, not really a prop, basically uh, some, some bullshit, a psyop. Abby Phillips. No. Yeah, Abby Phillips. I, I, I said Abby say, Martin. Um, I thought I was about to say, I don't think that was Abby Martin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I said Abby Phillips because I, I, can, I cannot stand that woman. She, she's like a robot. Now, Vivek's not going to make president, but uh, he is doing a very good run for vice president. Yeah, yeah, but I, I wonder if another January six happens. Is Vivek going to pull a uh, what's it called? What's his name again? God damn it, he's so fucking boring. I can't remember his name. Like he was the former former VP for Trump. I don't I don't hear anything about Mike Pence. You, you don't even hear about Mike Pence no more. Has he dropped out? Who knows? <laughs> no, Mike Mike Pence dropped out. Oh, kid! No wonder I don't fucking hear yeah. about Mike Pence. Yeah, he dropped out, and nobody even noticed. Yeah, nobody noticed. I'm like, no, he's so fucking boring. Anyway, Sabrina, I'm gonna let people pass. Okay. Oh, and one thing I'll put in um, just to follow up on the stuff with the Rust movie and the charges. Uh, the 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 armorer on the set, whose name was uh, Hannah Terrace Reed going on trial for involuntary manslaughter in, uh, in February of next year, at least supposedly. And the first assistant director um, uh, pled guilty 
to um, to ne- uh, negligent use of a deadly weapon, and I think he got like fined or a suspended sentence or something. So that's where that stands. Interesting. What's going on, Linda? Hey, you guys. Um, well, I think the conversation's been really interesting. I've just been listening to. I mean, I watched your show and everything, but I was just listening to everyone kind of talk about the various topics. Um, so just, I guess one of the things I kind of wanted to touch upon, um, thinking about just the article that you had read about uh, JFK. Um, I, it was from, I guess, the, the author Sterling, um, Rick Sterling. But yeah, I mean, it was a really good article, um, what you were reading about. And I do think that if JFK had not been taken out by the CIA or by, you know, the deep state, I think definitely like we wouldn't, I, there would be a completely different foreign policy. I think that our country would be operating under. Um, but then again, unfortunately, I think what happened to him was by design. And then of course, what happened to his brother was also, I mean, not yet. Um, his brother was also by design as well, because they both would have been in lock and step in terms of like, even, you know, they embraced the civil rights movement, like they embraced, um, you know, what was happening in Africa with regards to like, you know, the leaders who were also, you know, like, anti colonialism in terms of just this idea of African nationalism, they were all absolutely in support of that. Um, and so, yeah, I just think it's unfortunate what you see now with RFK Jr., who doesn't really seem to, I mean, maybe he, obviously, I'm sure he does somewhat know of his own father's legacy, but it's just very clear that he just simply wants to be president by any means necessary, that it's almost like he doesn't really have any actual, like, uh, stance on things that is authentic or genuine. It's more so that he's parroting specific talking points that will get him attention, it seems, or that will kind of, or garner him, maybe like the support he needs financially to help him with his campaign. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I guess that's kind of my stance on the JFK thing. But I think in terms of Alec Baldwin, um, you know, Alec Baldwin obviously is very connected in Hollywood. So definitely not a good, not a good person in terms of just when you were kind of mentioning about like, you know, his daughter and I guess the context of that, I think he was going through a divorce with his ex-wife. And so he claimed, I guess, after he kind of got called off for calling her, I think it was like a fat little pig or something like that. And she was 11 at the time. So that's how jacked up he is. But he basically claimed it was, oh, he was experiencing parental alienation, like where he wasn't allowed. He was supposed to talk to her at a certain point and that the his ex-wife was keeping her, her from talking to him or something, which doesn't excuse, obviously, like what he said and how that got leaked. But he also accused her, like the ex-wife, of leaking the recording of calling her. Um, a fat little pig, which who knows all this. Yes, it's very crazy. Yeah, I'm very much in the pop culture side. So I know about all this, but yes, it's really it's messed up. Um, but you know, but yeah, Alec Baldwin definitely has been well known to definitely be a hothead. Um, that relationship, I guess, he had with Kim Basinger was very, uh, I guess, tumultuous. Where yeah, he definitely had a temper. They definitely got into it quite a bit and so that whole divorce was very contentious and so i think that it was a very like kind of drawn out divorce battle and so in terms in terms of the custody aspect of it especially and so it, it did seem like for whatever reason he kind of snapped um and you know said whatever he said on some kind of voicemail recording and then that, that's how it kind of got leaked um but yeah so but regardless of that you know i will say with the whole rust um that shoot the accidental shooting. I think the main thing, and I remember this kind of coming out like right after that shooting happened, was that there was a lot of safety issues that were happening on set where 
you know, he's a producer for that movie. So it appears that like, they didn't necessarily have the right checks and balances in terms of when it comes to like, you know, like the, you know, the, the weapons or whatever, where obviously before you would hand the weapon to him, it would have been whoever was the prop person who should have actually been able to have ensured that, okay, this, this is safe for you to utilize. There's no live rounds. There's nothing wrong with it before, you know, then giving it to Alec Baldwin to then, you know, like the point and do, do whatever the scene was he was shooting for the scene. But it seemed like that did not happen. Like there was a lot of checks and balances that were just completely lacking on that set, just according to kind of what some of the things I've read about what was happening that kind of led up to the shooting of, um, you know, the woman who unfortunately got shot. And so I think part of the problem too, though, is that this has happened before. So I don't know if you, um, Brandon Lee, so the son of, um, the Kung Fu guy, um, Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee. This, yep. Yeah. I remember this that. happened to him actually, like this happened to him in the early nineties on the crow where, uh, he accidentally also got shot. And this was, I think through a, um, it was like a prop gun, but the issue was that I guess whatever that bullet was, it was like, there was like a fragment of something that they didn't properly empty out, I guess the, um, that the shell case, but whatever it was they were using to do the, like the, the, the blanks. Yes. They didn't properly enter out the, uh, eggs, um, do something with the blanks to where, unfortunately when he got shot with it, it actually like, you know, it seriously injured him to where he died. And so that also was like a safety issue to an extent, right? Where they didn't make sure that, yeah, it was at close range. That was also part of the problem. I'm just looking at the chat, but like, yeah, it was at close range too. So this has happened before, unfortunately. Um, and I do, I will say that I think in this case, yes, absolutely. He should be held accountable, but I think because uh, he's so well connected, Alec Baldwin, um, it just seems like when he's done so much like bullshit, like he's gotten kind of, you know, he gets passes, unfortunately. But look at how his, his current wife, the one who was pretending to be uh, like from Spain and she's just simply a white woman who's from, from like, was it Boston or where, or Massachusetts, wherever the hell she's from, but she was pretending like she was from Spain or something like where she had this whole fake Spanish accent and all sort of stuff. But like, that was something that kind of, she got called out on and stuff, but it just seems like, you know, he's going to get a pass because he definitely has earned a lot of people money. Um, and he's, so I don't, doesn't, I, who knows, but, um, and I think also because, you know, the set was insured. So the family, whatever lawsuit, I think that they filed the family of the woman who was killed, they got paid out. I mean, it, it, they, they did get paid out. But I mean, who, who knows if um, he's ever really going to truly, and if he does go to trial for it, I mean, I, let's say he gets found guilty. I don't think he'll do some substantive time. But at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, like he obviously did do something wrong. He should be held accountable for it. But I think what it shows you, if you juxtapose, um, Alec Baldwin, Baldwin with, uh, for instance, um, uh, what's the guy, uh, the black dude, um, Jonathan Majors. Like, so Holly Weird is definitely just, black folks are at the bottom of the totem pole, like unfortunately in Holly Weird. And so, you know, with what happened in that situation, I think for Jonathan Majors, the unfortunate thing for him is that even though you can see the, the video footage, right, where he's running away from her, she's chasing him, his, the ex-girlfriend mm -hmm. is chasing him down the street, and everything it's very clear that he was trying to disengage he was not trying to like you know get into it with her however the problem is that they also were looking at and they kind of pointed this out in the trial was that they were looking at like the text messages like like prior text messages between him and her and also the dynamics of 
white woman, black man. And so I just think we got to keep it honest. And I'm not, this doesn't mean sitting here like, I'm not anti-black man or anything like that. As a black woman, I have, you know, black, I have, you know, black male family members. My thing though is, if you know historically, the issue is that as a black man, if you have something to lose, be very careful about who you choose to deal with, associate yourself with, especially if we're going to keep it real around, you know, I, I don't want to say just necessarily about around racial lines, but just being mindful and cognizant of the fact that as a black man, if you are dealing with white women, you are always going to be looked at potentially as a suspect if the cops get called and something goes wrong, even if you may not have done something wrong. So I just think in his case, he should have been much smarter about the way he was moving, especially because he was on the rise as an actor, especially because they were trying to position him as like the next like thing, the next black male actor. And so I think in his case, because also like a lot of other information came out about him. Um, I think there was a Vanity Fair article I read about Jonathan Majors where they basically kind of put a whole kind of hit piece on him after, you know, the charges, like this whole incident with um, this ex-girlfriend where it was, oh, well, the word is that he's been, he has a pattern of being abusive with, you know, former ex-girlfriends and he's known for such and such and such and such. And they, they smeared him and like they dragged him prior to this trial. So that, that was kind of how he was being defined. And, and so, yeah, I'm sorry. But they also that. showed the footage where he picked her up and was trying to throw her back into that van. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so that, you know, that was a type of manhandling or whatever. And then him running from her after yes. that happened after that. But they also played some language where he was, I think it was a phone call or something that recorded where he was telling her he was a great man and she needed to be more like Coretta Scott and um, Michelle Obama and this Mm -hmm. and that. And I'm saying to myself, well, if you wanted somebody more like Michelle Obama and Coretta Scott King, why didn't you go for somebody like Coretta Scott or exactly, you know, exactly. Like how can you compare her? You know, it's, and and I hate to go there, but there is something to be said because now that he's been convicted, when you see him walking to and from the court, he's always flanked by these black women. Yep. And I don't know whether these are family members or whatever, no. but the issue is when you had choice, you chose someone else. Mm-hmm. And it, it just puts you in a funny kind of position like these black men get into trouble dealing with these white women and then when it all goes belly up everybody expects black women to be like picking you up and petting you up i'm like um okay exactly and that is well, so I would even- have, I'll, I'll add too that like it doesn't happen on the it doesn't seem to happen that way on the other side because mm-hmm. like I, I can tell you guys from experience like i've never seen that is that become an issue when it's the other way around so like obviously you guys know I'm married. My husband's white. I've mm-hmm. never seen that happen on the other way, on the other way, yeah. the other way around. But however, when it's different, when it's like black male, white woman, it does happen. You know, yeah, because of the stereotype. I mean, historically in this country, black men have always been perceived as, you know, the aggressive brute trying to brutalize white women. That has, I mean, since slavery, that has always been the stereotype, right? And so if that's been the stereotype, even when you've been falsely accused of, you know, I mean, and it's really sick and sad because I, I'm, I'm very much a history buff. I'm definitely aware of the, like the false rape allegations that have been cast upon young black men, black boys. I mean, even look what happened with Emmett Till. Was that not a whole situation where that young boy was wrongfully lynched 
because he was accused of whistling at a white woman. That's right. So this, I mean, let's let's call it, and that was just in the 1950s that happened. That's not that long ago. And so if you know that this is historically what happened, unfortunately, to you as a black man, why would you, I mean, I, again, I'm, again, I'm not, love whoever you want to love. That is your business. I personally do not care as it relates to whoever chooses to date whomever. However, I think people need to start thinking a bit more carefully about, particularly black men, you start thinking very carefully about, hey, if you know you have something to lose, be very careful about who you are associating yourself with. Because if something goes wrong, because again, if the dynamic war, it was a black woman he was with and that had happened, this is not what, this would not, I, I bet you that shit would have never even went to trial. I bet you that no. would have never went to trial. Please. No. It would have never went to trial. But because this was a white woman that he was dealing with, and, you know, she, you know, whatever. I mean, it, this was made into something that it really, really, really wasn't. And I do think that is something that needs to, like, I just think sometimes, I know, this is why I'm a big proponent of, to a certain extent, personal responsibility. Not to sit here and say that what should have happened to him in terms of the, the verdict should have been the case. However, um, yeah, you got to be very careful, though, in, in terms of who you're choosing to deal with and how, how you're dealing with them. Because... Unfortunately, depending on these systems you're, you're operating within, um, yeah, if you're perceived, if you know you are being perceived a certain way, if something goes wrong, and unfortunately, their relationship was also very tumultuous because they were pulling up those text messages that Noel just referenced about, you know, the dynamics of their relationship and various things that it clearly happened. It's like, well, y'all, y'all had issues, so this was clearly not a stable, happy relationship to a certain extent. There were clear issues there, so maybe you should have kind of removed yourself from that situation when you noticed, hey, it's getting a little bit too crazy. Like, let me remove myself so I don't get caught up. And so he got too, he got caught up in dealing with that person, unfortunately. And then he went running to Megan Good, a black, a black female actress who he, he was an act like, oh, I'm dating her now. At, right after that situation, which I'm like, I'm not buying that. I think that was a stunt to try to get black women to kind of view him as, you know, no, he's, he's a good guy. Like, you know, he's, he's someone that we should be supporting with this particular charge, but it's like, no, I mean, at the end of the day, the, the damage was done already because now you have a whole case on you. So that can't be undone. They're going to find, they're going to find a way to look at you and think, Hey, if you potentially did something wrong in his case, it was a split verdict, but still it was a split verdict because the, the bar he would have had to reach would have been not guilty on everything. That was not the case. He was found guilty on two of the four charges. So therefore, yeah, like as much as to me, it's a bullshit case technically, but I mean, it is what it is. You were still feeling guilty in the court of law. So now your career is in pretty significantly damaged because of it. And I don't think his career will be over, over, but the momentum in terms of his trajectory and being the next big thing, I think that piece is gone, but he'll, he'll resuscitate his career some way. But my thing is there is a lesson and a double lesson in this whole thing. And the bottom line is this society has been telling black men since day one, I don't care to what height you rise to, be it Bill Cosby, be it, you know, you can pick your poison and they are going to put you back into your place one way or the other. And it's just one of those things that, you know, is that dual consciousness that black people in this society still have to kind of contend with, mm -hmm. you know, and, it is what it is because we don't get to escape it as black women. Mm -hmm. I don't get to escape it as a black woman of trans experience. 
It's just layers of disenfranchisement. You don't get away from any of the others, but you can have additional layers added. And like I say, no matter the fame, the notoriety, the money, or this or that, you don't escape that in this society. Just because you're a Negro with money don't mean that you have power. Exactly. Exactly. We've seen other ethnicities be made white, including immigrant blacks from other African nations. But the the descendants of slaves in this country are rarely made white. We're always black. Well, let me tell you, no. Okay. As the child of two Nigerian immigrant parents, Nah, I I have, that's actually why I very much so align myself with just, so I'm I'm black, like, because no, like, if you're not a good little Negro, you are, no, you are a black person, (laughs) at least maybe that's just been my experience, that's the experience I've seen my parents, black as well, I mean, like, when I, yes, based on lineage, there are clear distinctions, so I I absolutely agree with that, however, no, um, society at large, I think what society at large has tried to do, even my parents have kind of talked to me about this with their experiences when they immigrated here, is that, they have had white people say to them, oh, you're like trying to pit them against other black yep. people. That oh, absolutely. I, that does have, hell, my experience, let me tell you about my experience. When I was in grad school, I had black, like, so my, it was horrendous. I went to grad school in the Bay Area. So my experience, and mind you, I was the black chick who, you know, I was the one, like, I wasn't trying to be like the white folk. I was, I was not here to make anyone comfortable. Like I was being myself authentically. I was basically being shitted on and talked shit about and smeared by African-Americans. Like the, these folks were very white identified. They all had white partners and that's your business. Do you, I don't care who you deal with, but how dare you sit here and smear me and try to project stereotypes of black folks on me as if I'm this aggressive person. Like it was, it was very, very eye opening. It was the first time I really had that kind of like really crazy experience, but it also lets me know that just because you're black does not make you an ally with other black folks, especially if, Really, their perspective is, no, I'm just trying to make sure I, I, I can get along and I'm down for whatever, you know, based on the environment I'm in, you know, if, if it's okay because you're around other people who are, you know, of the of non-colored persuasion or whatever that you want to align yourself that that's your business. Um, it is what it is. But yeah, so no, I, I disagree with that. But um, something. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead, Roger. Some, something that I learned. Um. So I might have to go back and check this, but the as far as the black man being aggressive, going all the way back to slavery, I I've seen two different um, histories or whatever you want to call it collide. I remember I was watching a documentary about the great Jack Johnson. Okay, yeah, yeah the boxer, right? Uh huh, and. And I remember I was watching something about the 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 rise of the Ku Klux Klan or something like that. I forgot it was some type of documentary. And before Jack Johnson, black men were looked at as weak because what type of group of people will let would let themselves become slaves anyway? So, you know, kind of like putting the blame on us. These people must be weak or something like that. They deserve to be enslaved for letting themselves become slaves, right? But then when Jack Johnson came came along and started knocking people knocking white dudes out in the ring then that's when the stereotype flipped to the black man is a brute the black black man is aggressive or whatever the case is and i, and so, I don't think that no go ahead. i don't think go ahead. there's ever been a, a um 
stereotype that black men were um, necessarily weak. I think black men's physical strength has always been a dynamic that's been at play. But the issue is there is the stereotype of black men and black people, period, being inept and stupid with the step and fetch it and this and that. But in terms of a black man's physical strength, that has always been something that has been recognized and been a part of the fear structure. The issue is black men were cast as stupid. And, you know, that's just a part of the dynamic. I don't think it's been two scripts that have been flipped. I think those things were married well. And it's just the, the which one that they have to contend with at the time. Yeah, and I also think the other part of it too, um, and I'm I'm going to take this back to you no know, slavery specifically. So yes, Noel, you're absolutely accurate in stating that. You know, black the strength of black folks was always acknowledged because that's exactly why we were enslaved to begin with, because we were able to handle like black people were able to handle the labor, the labor aspect of it, while Native Americans like they weren't able, like when they were trying to, you know, I think at some point like utilize indentured servants, that was not possible, like because they realized oh they couldn't do the kind of labor that they needed. And so that's Well, the Native why. Americans knew the land, so they could just run away because this was their land. So they knew exactly where to go to, and they had but, like a, a backing. You know, they were also uh, dying off, though. That's so. The thing is that, but they actually they died. They were not also strong enough to an extent because they, due to the introduction of all those diseases from like the Europeans, they actually a lot of them died quite you know died at like high rates because of that too. So they weren't able, unfortunately, to. I guess maybe like be utilized in the way that maybe um, the, the Europeans uh, would have wanted them to be utilized uh, to to establish, I guess, um, America. Yeah. But Sabrina, you said you didn't. I thought you knew, but you said you didn't know about. You didn't hear the uh, when Alec Baldwin called his daughter a pig. No, I I did. I mentioned that tonight. I mentioned tonight that oh. he, he publicly. He called his daughter names publicly. I mentioned that tonight. Oh, okay. Because no, because when when she was talking, it sounded like you said what? Like, like he didn't know that or something like that. Is the only reason why I said that. Um, I was talking about the part about Kim. Kim Bassinger. I have it right here. It's only two minutes. Hey, I want to tell you something, okay? And I want to give a message <laughs> for you right now. Yeah. 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's horrible. Let me just say this before before anyone comments for a second. And I don't mean to throw dude under the bus, but I cannot help but to say to myself, man, he sounds like pasta. And (laughs) and let me tell you why. Let me tell you why, Dwayne. He 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 sounds like pasta. Okay. Because because the Baldwin brothers are from uh, Massapequa Park. That's uh, out here in Long Island, suburbs. Uh, Pasta is from Amityville, which is the village right next to Massapequa Park. By the, way, Jordan, you're right. By the way, Jordan Sheridan's from Massapequa Park also, just as a little thing or whatever. But it's the accent, that, that, that deep Long Island accent that I was just yes. like, oh, this guy sounds like Pasta. white male privilege (laughs) that's what that is he can get away with being abusive for 20 30 years there's a long history of it and killing someone and he gets to walk scot-free jonathan majors at at the mere allegation his career is over done and 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 people who are witnesses look there were four counts that he was that he was charged on um, he was acquitted of two and convicted of two. I looked into that because I'm a huge Marvel geek. I love Jonathan Majors. I've seen him in I love, Lovecraft Country was great. I, lo- I think he's a great actor. But that being aside, I know that a lot of people, especially Hollywood people, can be arrogant, abusive, crazy. Like, look at Alec Baldwin. So I was looking into this case because, you know, if he was a scumbag, I'm going to admit it, obviously, to myself. But when you have a situation like this where you have witnesses in the car who said that she initiated the physical abuse there, she grabbed his phone, there was another woman's uh, message on that, she was angry at him, it went back and forth. He tried to run away out of the car and get away from her. (laughs) But the whole point is that once it becomes, if it's a black man and a white woman, once it becomes a situation where the institution gets involved, the, 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 the criminal justice system, this is a completely racist institution. Mm-hmm. It, it, he had no chance from the very, I, I was watching this from the very beginning. I'm like saying to myself, okay, white woman, black man, all she's got to do is make the allegation because that's a racist institution. It's going to come down to him like a ton of bricks. It doesn't matter whether he's guilty or innocent. And I was unfortunately proven correct in my suspicion that they were going to find a way to get him. Um, and and that's, what, that's how I look at it. Because if you've got witnesses who are on the scene who said she initiated the physical altercation, and he was obviously trying to get away from her. <laughs> he was running away from her. Well, I want to make sure, because um, I, I, I have a hard stop at one, because I have rising tomorrow. Um, so I want to make sure I, I get in other people too. Um, before I head out, let's let's go yeah, to. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, you go Thank you. 
thanks so much linda okay. um let's go to robin really quick because i haven't heard from robin in a hot minute and then we'll bring in brady what's up robin hey sabby how are you i'm good how are you i'm doing fine i have missed you so much in terms of going live you know um i would say that i'm one of those people where uh, when that story came out that it costs over $11,000 more, you know, to live uh, the way you did before the pandemic, I, you know, I can certainly attest to that, you know, as someone who now has literally has three W-2 jobs plus my own business on the side. I mean, I, I feel that, you know, and so that's why I'm not able to you know, catch your shows live as much as I am. So, you know, some of the stuff that I may talk about may be from stuff that you all have talked about, you know, two months ago, but I, I just don't have the time to, you know, get caught up with it. But first of all, uh, congratulations on 60,000. You may be at 80,000. I just don't know it yet, but congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm actually really surprised. Really, really surprised. I'm not surprised, Sammy, and that's why... That's why I support you because, you know, I mean, you're one of those people where when uh, when you're you have such a, a presence on screen, um, you know, you have the uh, the genuineness, you know, people know even if they disagree with you, they know that you're sincere and what you're saying is what you actually believe. And and in today's society with AI and with the propaganda and everything sincerity and realness you can't i mean you that stuff is going to pay back in spades and you know and it's, sometimes it's not always going to be in subscribers and things like that or whatever you know because we know that big tech and big this and big that is going to do everything within their power to suppress you know freedom of speech and communication and getting you know realness out but you know ultimately truth and reality rises to the top and you can't, you can't hide it under a bushel. If you try to, it's just going to shine through. So, I mean, you just happen to be one of those people. So, and that's why I have no problem supporting you and everything because, because you're real. So again, congratulations to you on that. And I have every expectation that you're going to go even further than that. So kudos to you on that. Oh, thank you so Thank you so much. Um, JB actually predicted it. And I was like, no way, JB. JB told me, I think it was two months ago. He says, Sabs, you're going to hit 60 in the year. And I was like, no, nah, I don't think so. He was like, Sabs, I'm calling it. I'm calling it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was right. Our, our modern day RBN prophet. Um, okay. So I did have a chance to um, listen to that uh, RFK interview with um, with breaking points. Uh, you know, a lot of times in order to try to catch up as much as I can, you know, with, with a lot of you podcasters and podcasters and stuff like that, you know, I have to listen to you guys like on double time as I'm showering or getting my lunches together and stuff like that or whatever. But it, that when he said that the Palestinians were the most pampered people, that was the most jaw-droppingly dropping statement. I don't know if I've ever heard anything that was so jaw-dropping to me. And I mean, I, I just can't think of a time. I guess I can think of, you know what? I think probably the closest thing to it 
would be when Kanye said, no, I love Hitler like that, you know, <laughs> um, that, I mean, that, that, I think that's, that it's on that level to me in terms of when he said that, because I don't even think people who are what, well, you know, I mean, well, I will say this, I will say that Zionists are probably way beyond what I thought they would be. You know, uh, I think I've shared with you all, and if I haven't, I'm sharing it now, that I was raised as a Christian Zionist, uh, growing up as an evangelical and everything. And just over time, you know, just realizing through my own um, understanding of my faith and everything that I can be a Christian and not have to be a Zionist. And so I rejected Zionism uh, once I understood that that was not a part of, um, you know, uh, my Christian foundation or didn't have to be a part of my Christian foundation. But even when I was a Christian Zionist, when I would see uh, Israel, you know, respond to, you know, and, and uh, those times where I guess when they called it mowing the lawn and I didn't even realize that was a term, you know, I mean, my mom and I would sit around and be like, okay, they kind of doing the most right now. You know, and even as a Christian Zionist, I just be like, yeah, that's that's a little much. <laughs> but then I would, you know, hear all of the other things. Well, Israel has a right to defend itself. Doesn't they have a right to defend itself? Blah, 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 blah. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. Of course, of course. And then as things go on with this situation, it's just like, wait a minute. I mean, you know, especially now that I'm not a, a, a Zionist or whatever, I mean, these people like Ben Shapiro and stuff, he's on a he's on a whole another planet. And I and it's just like, wow, Candace Owens is showing the most restraint and reason and nuance, you know, over at the Daily Caller than anybody, you know, and he and, and Ben is just off the rails. It's it's just a weird phenomenon to see. Now, saying that, you know, I still have to navigate, you know. Uh, the two worlds between Christians that I know that are not Zionists and Christians that I know that are Zionists, you know, and, and just kind of figuring out for myself, okay, um, you know, who can I have these conversations where I want to, you know, kind of push a little further and probe them and kind of get them to see and open up their hearts and minds to, you know, a new way of thinking and, and who is it that you just go, okay and change the subject too because you know it's just like wow this is just this is just too much for me but i mean that that was a, a moment and i am very curious to see what rfk's poll numbers are gonna be like you know over the next two or three months if this is the path that he chooses to go down so i gotta tell you guys something funny i'm gonna share this on twitter tomorrow because this shit is hilarious I got a text message from RFK Jr.'s campaign earlier today. Oh, no. Let me, show, let me tell you guys what it says. This is funny. Hi, Sabrina. This is Laura Frey with RFK Jr. presidential campaign. We are approaching the end of the quarter year, and the media will be scrutinizing the success of Mr. Kennedy's presidential campaign. He has made a new video urging our support to accomplish ballot access in all 50 states. Would you like to see it? Here's my response. Genocide. <laughs> wow. Here's the thing. Here's, show. Hold on, hold on, hold on. 
Hold on. They responded. Here's the funny part. They responded. Mr. Kennedy is writing a policy for the entire region and plans to release it soon. And they sent a picture of the Middle East. I don't know what his plan will be. Uh, What I do know about him is that he cares deeply about all human life. He listens to alternative points of view and he is willing to be persuaded by the facts. But I do understand your point of view. It is something that I have been grappling with. All things considered, I have no doubt that he is by far the best candidate. My response to that was, Palestinians are pampered. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Girl, I know you did it. <laughs> like, I was, I was, I'm not kidding. I'm going to share this shit on Twitter tomorrow. Good. And then I'm going to show it. I'm going to show it on stream Thursday because I was not expecting them to respond to that. Really? Wow. I thought she was going to say, I, you're in the kill. The gall. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, but that would, Roger, that would be so good because, you know, when he first announced and everything, and I remember when Savvy and Eric went to the, you know, to the, the launch thing out there and stuff, and, you know, it was just, I mean, going back and forth, and you didn't, I know you didn't have 60,000 subscribers or, or whatever then or whatever but like i said anybody with half a brain if they saw saw your your show you know watched a couple of episodes would say okay no you know she may be not be you know the, the jimmy door or the joe rogan or you know uh or name your uh, uh youtube person or whatever but you want to catch smart people would catch the wave early you know and and so the fact that his his campaign poo-pooed you for so long and tried to string you along and everything and they felt like i guess with whatever this momentum was with the the covid and all this other kind of stuff or whatever that they didn't need you to now all of a sudden you know that just shows they whatever however bad we think that response was an impact to their campaign it's five times worse than that at least at least five times worse and it just goes to show you i mean just like with journalists you know where glenn greenwald says that you know however much you hate journalists you can't hate them enough i feel the same way about politicians And, and he's just revealed himself to be just this narcissist you know, uh, and I mean, I don't know. Look, when he when it was revealed that his daughter-in-law was a part of the CIA and then she was his campaign manager, I was I mean, I was out then because I am so against the deep state and everything. And there is no way that given what it, the history of his family's uh, you know, impact that the deep state has had on it with all of those, you know, the murders and things like that, that have, you know, that they brought on the Kennedy family. And then for him to still embrace that, you know, it was just like, that was a no for me once I realized that. And now for this to happen, you know, where you call Palestinians pampered, even as a Zionist, if I was a Zionist, I would say, okay, man, man baby, you just, you, you know, you're doing the most. You are. You don't have to go that far, even yep. when I. I mean, it's just why. 
And the only reason you can say, the only thing I can think of is, is that, you know, you not only are bought and paid for, I mean, you, you're, you know, I have to use a word, you're a slave to the Israeli lobby, a literal slave. And I mean, that's just, you know, as black people, you know, you, you should never want to be a slave. I don't mm-hmm. understand how white people, you, I mean, they had the choice not to be slaves and you choose to be a slave? To a foreign entity for what to you know to have the title of president whatever i think norm finkelstein was right when he said rfk jr is an opportunist i think he was right i wasn't expecting i wasn't expecting norm to go off like that with hey because the very beginning of the interview was very calm and then and by the way, it took me a long time to get that interview because I don't know if you guys know this, but since October 7th, Norm Finkelstein is getting like 200, he's getting hundreds of emails by the hour as, as good. like, he, I'm good. not kidding. like it got to the point where Norm was like, Sabrina, just call me. And I was like, oh boy. He said, I, I told Norm, I said, Norm, get an assistant. To handle your emails he said i can't yes. because it's my personal email and i was like bruh because see when the first time i brought him on it was easier because this war hadn't happened mm-hmm. so it was easier <laughs> to get him then but like it took me was this december it took me like a month and a half to be able to get him just because he had so many requests he couldn't keep up with it he was like i have so many emails i don't know what to do and i want to tell him this but if I hear from him again, I probably just tell him, "Hey Norm, I know you don't want to do this, but sometimes you might have to tell people no." I tell people no. Like I get like interview requests every week, and it gets to the point where sometimes I have to tell people, "I'm booked up for. I can't do it for this month. I just can't because it's it's too. I I can't do everyone's like show like every day, especially like when I have my own show." And you guys know I got my gym time. You know how I feel about my gym. So <laughs> the thing is, is like, I can't, like, I had to start telling people, like, I'll not booking again until January. Like, sometimes yeah. you just got to do that, especially now with the war that's happening with Israel. There's a lot of requests that are coming through. So if I'm getting, I have over a thousand emails in my, and I, that's after I deleted some. So if I'm getting that, imagine how many Norm is getting. Right, right, yeah. I have one more interview request for you right now. Are you familiar with the Twitchy Witch from TikTok? It's this amazing lady who's doing her PhD thesis in Palestinian studies and language and stuff, and she's just brilliant when it comes to this entire topic. And uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll DM a message to you, and who knows, maybe we'll get to talk to her sometime, but she'd be a really good interview. Um... And that's the Twitchy Witch on TikTok, if anyone wants to check her out. She's on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Very smart lady. Incredibly smart woman. Uh, And very insightful on this Palestinian stuff, as well as a lot of uh, interesting spiritual stuff around that. But I just want to mention that we're having uh, an in-person meeting, actually, here in Texas. I just want to say everything that we're doing is actually working, because... Uh, a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have imagined 
this many people being interested in Texas, but there's a huge group getting together uh, tonight and then tomorrow night, and we're going to be broadcasting the meeting on call-in and hopefully hosting more like um, in-person meetings online if anyone wants to join anywhere on earth. And, um, you know, I was initiated into a Zionist cult as well as a young man. I was a member of a, uh, what was it? A Lutheran church. It was a, a, a Zionist Lutheran church. And I actually was confirmed, which means I had to do extra Bible study homework and stuff. And I was actually a really good Christian for a long time, but I was too good of a Christian. I, I read the Bible a little too much. And that was enough for me to turn around and walk away from the entire thing. Uh, and my entire life got so much better after I did that. You know what I mean? Just the, the guilt trip removed, like the extra free time I had to devote to studying other things. You know? uh, oh, I think you broke up. Huge, hugely I, th I think you're breaking up a little bit, Brady. Okay, I'm going through a little bit of a dip. How do I sound now? You sound fine now. Okay, yeah. But the, the point is that, you know, uh, I had an epiphany the other day, and I, I realized one of the uh, cheapest, freest, most nonviolent, uh, and probably most effective protests we could do at this moment in time walk away from the cult of Abraham altogether, you know, like there's never been a better time. And if, uh, you need a reason or some evidence to kind of help you with that, I would point to the work of Dr. David Hillman. He also calls himself, uh, Amon and he has a YouTube series called lady Babylon. And he takes a really deep dive into the Bible and does literal Greek translations to reveal of Christianity oh, and basically he's he's basically un oh mic check again how do I sound okay there you go oh I think you're breaking up oh no all right but yeah well I'll, I'll wrap it up quick but um this guy David Hillman is yanking the hood on the entire mystery cult and basically all the secrets of Freemasonry he's kind of just telling everyone and it's really interesting. Honestly, the Bible is very dry and boring if you kind of just go by the literal translation. But if you know the, the backstory and the kind of metaphorical symbology of the Bible, it becomes incredibly interesting, incredibly fast. But um, it also very quickly becomes very easily to walk away from. And I've seen so many people on TikTok and YouTube talking about how They've been walking away from the church and how their lives have gotten better, how they feel so much more free. And uh, I think it's a good protest. If there's ever been a good time to walk away, I think. Uh, the Interesting point. Um, I'm going to pivot back to Robin. Anything else you wanted to add, Robin? No, um, I just wanted to, you know, well, let, that's not true. I would add things that would go on for an hour, but you've got a hard uh, cutoff. And I've got to be at jo my job, well, job number one, at 7 a.m. Central Time. So I'm going to uh, sign off. But again, I, you know, I got off of my other job early. So I just wanted to, again, congratulate you, give you my two cents on one topic. 
And then, you know, whenever I have a breakout, call back in. So I love everybody on call in. I miss you guys. I miss Sabby. You know, just because I'm not on call in doesn't mean that I'm not trying to keep up with things and, you know, um, and support Sabby. I am, I am here in spirit as much as I can be. So, uh, like I said, love you all. I'll talk to love you Love you too. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Let's bring in Omar. Hey, Omar, Sabby. just got to um, What's hey, up? Hey, Sabby. Wanted to bring up, I guess, like the happening in Israel. Sent around 2% of polls Omar, in Israel. Omar, Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. A poll that I heard Bunima from Electronic. He said that people that were polled wanted a ceasefire. Omar, you keep you keep cutting out. I'm not sure if you're on Wi-Fi or not, but you keep cutting out. We were getting every other word. Hello. While you do that, I'll I'll come back to you, Brady. Anything else? Yeah. Okay. Poll that I heard. No, you're you're breaking up again, Omar. I think it's yeah. it could be your connection. Uh, Brady. Anything else? If not, I'm going to bring in Travers. Oh, just the. The guys from the All In podcast um, that made this app, Call In, were on X the other day with Elon Musk and Alex Jones. And uh, this is an interesting conversation they had. And, you know, it's really funny. It really did sound like an episode of Call In, like all of us just goofing off. It, it really kind of humanized Elon Musk and all those nerds. You know what I mean? Like, they're just like us, you know. Uh, they're no smarter than we are, you know. And I found that kind of humanizing and interesting, but they brought up a good point, which was if uh, uh, Alex Jones and Elon Musk were to be in a debate with Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci and uh, Joe Biden, if we can get like Hillary Clinton and all these world leaders in a room with all the best journalists, and I'm not saying Alex Jones is the best journalist, but that's just the example they used. But if we could get like all the world's journalists in a room with all of the world's politicians and have like a debate, we could probably solve a lot of problems in just a few hours, honestly, if it was a properly moderated uh, debate, you know, um, they brought up that point and I have to agree with it. And I, I just want to say that free speech is under attack right now. And free speech is the fuel of democracy, which is the best mitigator we have of war. In fact, I think that humans invented language so that we could stop fighting each other, you know, stop hitting each other with sticks and rocks and start using words to be like, hey, you know, let's make a deal. And so uh, I think it's good to point out that Israel is literally threatening free speech in America and our democracy itself when they do that. And it literally creates a uh, echo chamber kind of uh, melting pot for violence, essentially. But that's it. I'll pass the joint. Uh, you guys stay active, and I'll catch y'all later. All right. All right. Let's go ahead and bring in um, Travers. Travers, you're on the mic. What's up? Hey, Sabby. Just got to unmute. There you go. There you go. Can you hear me okay now? 
I can hear you. I can hear you. Okay. Uh, right. Just because um, you guys were talking about reparations earlier, I thought I might share a story you guys might find interesting. Um, about five years ago, uh, there was a story in the paper in the UK that the UK had finally finished paying off the reparations due to slavery, which took them nearly 200 years to pay off, which is pretty cool. Uh, when I read it at the time, I was I was pretty chuffed. Went home, uh, found out at work, I, I thought, wow, that's just amazing. What a country. It spent 200 years to pay off reparations for enslaving people. Went home, um, researched it, found out it wasn't reparations to the slaves. It was reparations paid to the slave owners, including a guy called David Cameron, not him personally, his family, who at that time, David Cameron was the UK Prime Minister. You'll hear about him now because Richie Snack, the current Prime Minister, has made him a foreign minister. Uh, foreign minister? minister for International Affairs or something like that. You'll see him. You'll see him around. He's also the guy that took the UK into Brexit, idiot. So, yeah, I was pretty bloody angry when I found out that my taxes had been going to paying reparations to slave owners. Mind you, so had generations going as well, going back nearly 200 years. So I thought you guys might find that interesting. I've heard that before, too, that um, that there are some slave owners that got it. Yeah, that's that's a hot mess. But that goes back to what Noel said. It's a plantation nation, right? Yeah, that happened with us, too. The Homestead Act. Mm-hmm. Well, they lost, lost their, their property, property, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was it. It was for... yes, that it was compensation for loss of property, which you know at the time human even... beings, yes, beings, oh, yes, yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> fucking insane. Excuse me for cursing, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. Ridiculous. It's crazy. But um, just on the plantation nation thing, uh, that's the. 20% I probably wouldn't agree with you, Noel, on. It became that, but it didn't start as that. Because initially, America was just basically a colonial outpost um, for many nations. Um, France, Scotland, that one failed abysmally. Hence, Scotland is now part of the United Kingdom because they went bankrupt because their, their expedition failed. But if you want to learn about plantation nations, um, but I Travers, Travers, uh, yeah. we Travers, importing people from Africa, importing people from Africa to work the fields in America, fields before in America, it was America, before it was America. Yeah, that, it was a colony at that time. This is my point. Exactly. It, it's a colony exactly. that grew into a nation. Right, but it was a plantation right, nation. But it was a plantation it was nation because it was founded on slavery. And genocide, of course. The, and genocide, of course. Uh, the United States, as, a, as if you're talking about a nation now, it wasn't founded on slavery. It was actually founded on um, not paying taxes and free trade, 
basically. But that's how we so generate that's how we generate all of our capital. Yes, correct. And a so byproduct of that. So it is a plantation nation. Okay. You, you see your wording. Coming, okay. Um, there's an echo coming. There's an echo coming from Travers' side. So we have to let uh, Travers finish what he's saying, and then someone else can talk. So um, go ahead, Dwayne, and then we'll pass it back to Travers. Right. I'm just saying that uh, if not for the uh, um, wealth generated from the uh, um, the slave slave trade. This country would never have been built. So the, to say that it's a plantation nation is absolutely correct. This country has always profited from slavery. Even if you go to the to modern days when you look at free trade, what is that? That's the corporations going abroad, exploiting populations, extracting their resources, profiting from slave labor. We still have the prison industrial complex. This is, in fact, a plantation nation. It has been since it was even since before it even was a nation. It's based upon the expropriated capital from the, the uh, southern agrarian uh, landowners who used slaves to generate wealth, and that wealth during after the Civil War was was expropriated from the South and used to build the Industrial Revolution in the North and all the factories and everything else. This country would not be what it is today if not for plantations and slavery. The the, 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 the the amount of wealth that was generated just from the slave trade is what built this country. It is absolutely, as Noel says, a plantation nation. Okay. Nothing's changed. Okay, Change. Travers. Okay. 60% of that's spot on. And I agree. You're right on about 60%. But you're basing it on the fact that you think it was initial it was set up as a plantation it wasn't that was a byproduct for example and you said it wouldn't be a country without it what about canada canada is exactly the same heritage as the united states well it wasn't a slavery there oh this is going to be awkward because i'll have to mute in between okay let me just jump in for just a second and just say um I think we need to understand again that like when this country was colonized, like first of all, it wasn't just this country, it was North America. So the colonization didn't just happen in what we call the United States. The colonization happened in all of North America, which would include Canada, right? But it wasn't Canada at that point in time. So... so when we talk about when we talk about the slave trade, this is what's important. I'm very knowledgeable about this, and I've done so many tours in reference to the slave trade in this country. What people have to understand is there were three major ports where slaves came into this country: Charleston, South Carolina, and believe it or not, Rhode Island, which a lot of people are surprised to hear. Rhode Island was the third largest slave transport in this country in reference to the transatlantic uh, slave trade. They don't like to talk the, about it because, you know, they, they get kind of embarrassed because it's in the north and shit. What was the second one? The second one was, hold on, I always forget. I, I, learned, say, it was, I learned that it was Wall Street. Well, there's, yeah. Um... That, that New York City was a 
very big, uh, like was second to uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Um, hold on, because I always forget. Charleston, South Carolina, Rhode Island, and I forget. I want to say North Carolina for some reason. Anyway, I'll have to, I'll have to look it up, but I forget. Charleston? Yeah, I, I mentioned Charleston, Charleston South yeah. Carolina. Um, because, see, in Charleston, the biggest thing they were trying to do there is rice. Right. And you'll see this if you go to different states, like in the South, South Carolina, like like they're really known for the rice, right? Because Gullah they people did that. They harvested. Yeah, that's my family. Bought, that's my mom's family. Right. They brought slaves into the Charleston port. And the goal there was to grow rice because mm -hmm. the the plantation owners, like they didn't know how to grow rice. So they brought slaves from Africa to grow rice. That's why if you go to Charleston, South Carolina, you get some some banging rice. I'm not kidding. Yep. Like the rice there tastes e exceptional. It's true. Mm. Now, North Carolina, cotton. So slaves were brought in North Carolina to make cotton. I think also tobaccos, like grow cotton, grow tobacco. Mm -hmm. Now, some of you are wondering, what does that have to do with Rhode Island? How does Rhode Island fit in? Rhode Island brought in rum. Mm. That was the big product coming in that way. And it's one of those things where it's been a well-kept secret for a long time where like, I feel like the state of Rhode Island didn't really want to talk mm. about it. But Rhode Island was the third largest state in reference to the transatlantic slave trade. And a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people think it's just, it was just the Southeastern states and that is not true. No, yeah. New York so, was a huge slave trade, slave state. Yeah, it just, it it's, but so th there's those things. So again, it had to deal with goods and resources. What can you do? in this state and what can you bring in so again that's what a lot of that went back to so when Dwayne says that the slave trade like slaves actually built this country he is correct because when europeans came to colonize this country they didn't know how to do those things they observed africans in african countries doing those things and also that meant that they didn't have to do any work. So they brought them over and made them do the work for free. Hmm. So when you look up and there's many other things we can get into that you're not taught about in school, when we talk about what they actually did to the slaves. But the other piece of that is that this was free labor. When everyone, you notice the difference, like when people talk about the Holocaust and stuff, that was also free labor. Yes, like they they beat Jewish people, they put them in gas chambers, they worked them to death. And at the same time, they got free labor. The surplus so, value of that labor is what built this country. Exactly. So it all goes back to capitalism. Exactly. This is the point that I'm there we agree. Back. Okay. Go yeah. So I was just gonna say, yeah, I agree with ooh, pretty much. I think just about a hundred percent of that. You're spot on. And the only 
disagreement I'd have would be the phrase plantation nation. I know it's great. It's alliteration. It sounds good on the ear. Rolls off the well, you're arguing semantics. Well, no, because a plantation nation, I'll give you an example, right? In Northern Ireland, uh, and this is going back to 1600s, um, the local chieftains lost a war, okay, against England. So what they did was they took thousands and thousands and thousands of Scots from England and planted them in Ireland. It's where the term comes from, plantation. That's what it means. You plant the population. And they basically replaced them. And that's why Northern Ireland is what it is still to this day. That's a plantation nation. A slave servitude, yeah, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. I can't think of a phrase. But it's it's not a plantation nation. Um Australia, for example, that was a penal colony nation. Yeah. So Travers, a cool... I think, I think, I think you're looking at this in terms of like the literal definition. Whereas when Noel says plantation nation, like this is a figure, it's a figure of speech. I think you're looking at the textbook definition of what a plantation means. Exactly. We're talking about what built this country. Yeah, yeah, um, you're right, Sabi. And the reason is the original plantations were in Ireland. They had three of them. Only one of them succeeded. And that was the Northern Ireland one. They had one where the county where I was born. Um, that one failed. They all basically failed, except the last one, because they planted the British population in Ireland. They literally moved the population. So, yeah, I understand. Yeah, I understand why you guys use it. It just it means something different to me. I'd be more, yeah, yeah, I'd agree with you. Mute. Okay. Um, anything else, Travers? Uh, no, that, that's it. Really. Oh, oh, the only other thing I was going to say is if any of you are ever in, uh, London, I highly recommend you going to Trafalgar Square. Um, there's a big column there called Nelson Column, which, uh, commemorates the Battle of Trafalgar, which is, well, I, I'd like to hope some of you have heard of it, but it's the most famous naval battle probably in history or certainly recent uh, recent ish history but if you look at a column the column's huge absolutely huge and scrolled around the side of it they've got um engravings of sailors and the battle etc and if you look at it what's really cool is about somewhere between 40 and 60% of the carvings are all black men which you wouldn't expect from a battle from what the 1800s, 17, 1800s. But the reason was, of course, that um, the British Navy uh, took a lot of slaves. And they didn't take slaves, I should say. They freed a lot of slaves from America. If you could get onto a Royal Navy ship, you, um, of course, you became 
you became a sailor, so I don't know how much freedom that is. But anyway, if any of you were ever in London, I highly recommend that, because when I was a kid, I was really chuffed when I saw that. That was pretty cool. Okay. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, I'll bring in bag cookies, and then after that, I'll go to you, Dwayne, and then we'll wrap up. What's going on, bag cookies? What is going on, Sabby? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Wonderful. How's everything going tonight? Going great. Fuck yeah. So, like, first let me start off by saying I love that sweater you had on on the show tonight. That thing was fucking cute. The little heart, like, oh. yeah, it was real cute and shit. I have different colors, so get ready. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Merry Christmas if you celebrate Christmas. If not, happy holidays. Uh, it's coming up real quick. Uh, tell us what you have planned for this uh this this stretch coming up right before the Christmas holiday. Oh boy, um, so uh, Rick Sterling is going to be on Friday. He's the one that wrote that article, that JFK article. Plus, he has some other things he want to talk about too. And then um, I'll be on Rising tomorrow. I may have an interview next week with someone. I don't want to mention their name yet. I actually just talked to them again today. Um, and I, I think that's, I think that's all I have so far that I know of. That's going oh, no, 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 no. I actually have an interview Thursday with um, Salman. I don't know if you follow, you guys follow him on Twitter, but his name is Salman. Um, he's the one that's actually tweeting out all those videos from Gaza about the casualties. So I actually was able to get a hold of him. So he's going to come on to give the Palestinian perspective um, about Gaza. So that's going to be great. I'm I'm glad I got this guy. Like this guy's like his videos. Let me see. Because I got him in my. I'll send you guys his. um his Twitter handle so you can follow him. I always say his name wrong. Uh, Salomon Ahmed. Um, let me share this in the chat. If you're not following him, you should follow him because like I said, he is the one that's tweeting out a lot of these videos coming out of Gaza. Um, let me put this in here. So he's going to be on Thursday. We have a lot to talk about especially in reference to the narrative. So I just put his thing, his uh, Twitter handle, actually his Twitter link in the chat, follow him. Um, Cause that's where I get a lot of these, uh, the footage from now, some of his stuff I can't show on YouTube because it's um, graphic like violence, but he's been on it and he's been like tweeting this stuff out every day, day after day after day. Sweet. That sounds awesome. I hope that's a great interview. I'm assuming you won't be on on Sunday then at all then, right? Actually, I will be live Sunday. All right. I know it's Christmas Eve, but I'll be live this Sunday because I wasn't live this past Sunday. Right, right. So that's another thing I'll tell you guys about. I'll explain that more on Friday. I'm doing every other Sunday now, not every single Sunday, just because... Uh. Um, I need to have time to like focus on my writing and it's kind of hard to do that if I'm live every Sunday. Like it's just the reality because once you pick out the news stories, you watch all the clips, you read all the articles uh, for your show, then you got to get ready for your show and all that kind of stuff. 
And then in between that and everything else I have going on, it's hard to just sit down and just finish writing. So I've started projects, but I haven't completed them. So having every other Sunday off, that's really going to help me out a lot. All right. Well, that's going to suck losing some savvy time, but congratulations. And I, I wish you a lot of luck on your writing. I hope it, it's very successful. Yeah, it's time for you guys to see. Like I wrote it. I haven't written an article in over a year. Just FYI. Um, I did write the last one I wrote. It was part of my sub stack, but I've actually been contacted by um, The Root. I don't know if everybody's familiar with them, but they are also published. I think they also part of The Grio. But the route they've reached out to me multiple times asking me for work for stories so the thing is like when you submit to uh, an outlet it's like you have to submit a pitch and then but i don't want to submit a pitch if i'm not even halfway done with the article because if they don't accept the pitch then i can just put it on my sub stack but if they do accept the pitch i want to be ready to pretty much have that complete they give you deadlines yeah. so you have to work on those get those things done for the deadline um so i have been contacted by them and a couple other people just to get some of these stories out so the one that i'm really working on right now i'm focused on is uh the people that i actually went to go see at their housing complex um at the mildred healy apartments about the people that are dealing with the black mold and all the other issues at their housing complex. And the reason why I want to focus on that one is because I'm trying to make the connection to the fact that black people are marginalized in Boston and they're often forgotten about. And that's the connection that I'm trying to make there. Indeed. That's a, that sounds like an amazing article. I saw the videos previously that you had where you were showing all the black mold and I was like, man, this sucks. This is terrible. So you bringing um, eyes to that information is very important. Thanks for that, Sebs. And my final question to you, so I can get out of the way because I see case study in the queue and that man is far more important than I am. Um, oh. my, la my, <laughs> my last question to you is, um, so what would you feel about doing a collab between you and Bree and Kim Iverson where you guys like meet up like once every other month and just have your stories and discuss it between each other, like women of independent media, kind of like a, a setup. You know what I mean? Would that be something that would interest you? Yeah. I mean, I would be interested in that. Why are you setting something up, Bad Cookies? I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I'm just gauging interest. You know what I mean? Yeah. I actually <laughs> think that would be pretty cool because you have three different perspectives, I think. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I want is like something of that nature where where everyone where all three of you get together and you share your ideas and then see where you guys have common grounds. And I think that would be uh, something that would be really cool to watch. It would be very entertaining. Good, good content, as they say. Oh, thanks so much, Bad Cookies. <laughs> all right. Uh, have a good night, Seb. Thanks, you too. OK, case study QB. Yo, what's up, everybody? Much. Case, you've been killing it, man. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, shout out to Bad Cookies, who's like my favorite comment, one of my favorite commenters in the chat or um, wherever I see you, always uh, cracking jokes and, and uh, cracking jokes, man. Much love to you. Yeah, so Savvy, I, I like that idea as well. I, I'm more person to that um, 
the the voice, not the voice, the um the view, the progressive view of the left. Um, I'll add KD Helper to that. So KD, Bree, Sabi, Kim Iverson. I think that would be a good show. What you think, Sabi? I think it would be. I I honestly don't think I would be considered though, to be honest. Now nah, we're gonna um, make it happen. We're gonna make it happen. Not not with the view on ABC, not with we we going through our own show. Oh, you're talking about the left view. <laughs> <laughs> but um so so something I wanted to bring up because uh, I, I think I gotta check Harlan's media, but if they um touched on a clip that I I, I, I went through and I finished um Ryan Grimm's book and I'm gonna be clipping a couple things that um I, I heard. And one of the last things that I clipped already was the last, very last, like, couple sentences of the book. He said that um, Jamal Bowman in 2022 brought it up to the squad that he was saying, hey, somebody should challenge Biden, not to necessarily challenge him, like, seriously, but to challenge him so that to push him to the left. So it would be somebody challenging, like, primary, uh, wanting to primary him. For 2024 but it's really just to push him to the left and AOC said um he said if if y'all not going to do it then I'm going to do it this is what Jamal wait what said. what was this yeah I clicked a, a, a couple of days ago but anyway I clicked the audio version of this book of this part of it I, I'll send it I'll DM it to you after um we do this uh calling so um he said if y'all not going to do it I'm going to do it but AOC said hold up hold up I might do it and then that's how the book ends, though. So my thing is, and I'm surprised nobody asked Ryan Grimm this in all the different interviews that he went on. I know, I think Bree, I, actually, I don't know if they read the book front to back like I did. Otherwise, I, I'm pretty sure somebody would ask Ryan, like, I want to ask Ryan, what in the world happened? Like, why, why didn't she or any squad member challenge Biden? Like, what happened, you know? Ace. But I... Mm-hmm, go you got to know they're bluffing, right? Like they're not going to do that. It's already too. The it's first too late prim- at this point. The mm-hmm. first primary is March. No, that that's the point. I'm, I I want to know what caused them not to um to to primary him. Like I wonder I'll what happened. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you mm-hmm. what it was. They were told mm-hmm. not to do it by Democrat leadership. They were told mm-hmm. get in line and support Joe Biden. And you know what's funny though? I thought about how Jamal Bowman and um fire gate fire alarm gate <laughs> so if he ever tries to run for higher office you know they're going to bring that up and they're going to try to use that against him unfortunately i guess in that sense you know and jamal jamal bowman is about to be pushed out anyway because apac already got a primary challenger up against yeah he got a word but I, I have to tell you though i was impressed by that debate that he did me personally um with against that republican and I, I clipped the whole thing. I think the whole thing was like 20-something minutes. And he went after the guy. Like, I was like, man, if 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 Bernie Sanders had the type of debate aggressiveness that Jamal Bowman had, who knows if he would be president right now. But to be fair, it's easy. Mm-hmm. Like, when, you, when you're on the left, it's easy mm-hmm. to debate a Republican. That's true. That that wasn't the assignment. The assignment was them to push back on Democrat establishments. I want to see true. Jamal Bowman debate someone like Hakeem Jeffries, debate one of those people that are in Congress yeah. that are part of the corporate, you know, take corporate money, debate one of them. Like, don't yeah. like I, I don't need to see you debate someone on the right. I already know 
where you stand on the issues and I know where they stand on the issues. So I get it. That's easy. Yeah. Somebody would have to have that Jank Uger energy because like as much as um, I disagree with him on different topics, he he brings the fire as far as um, if he was to debate Biden, I think he would be that person that would debate a fellow Democrat in a very aggressive way. We need more in the. Mm. It, it 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 would be interesting. I just think again, I think this is all for show. Like I really mm. do. Like Jamal Bowman, like debating Byron Donald. Like he's not running against Byron. They're not mm. in the same district. So it's like I mean, it's a mute point. Like that. That's the point I want to get across. Is like, wait, is that happening? Is that a thing? Well, they had that argument one time. Oh, oh, oh Jamal Bowman. Oh, okay, I thought Jenkins. Yeah. Um, no, I him, Jamal, him, but, mm-hmm. Jamal Bowman and Byron okay. Donald had argument one time. But I mean, yeah. like the, the thing is, again, is like you're not running against this person. Like, yeah, yeah. you any Democrat can debate against a Republican. Any Republican yeah. can debate against a Democrat. We yeah. want to see you push back against the the other Democrats who mm-hmm. are more uh, in the center or more towards the right. Like that's the thing. So this is exactly why I don't. Have you guys ever noticed this? Like, I don't do the whole debate me bro thing. This is exactly why I don't do it because I usually get requests from people who are on the right. And I'm like, what is this for? Like, we, we already know, like, where I stand on the issues, where you stand on the issues. What is this even? Why would I do this? Like, it just, right. it's just, I never understood that. Like, like when Kyle Kalinske, like, debated against, like, Jordan, uh, like, these people like Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro and all stuff. I'm like, so What? Like, I will tell you what that is. That is um, a massage ego, a, a, a massage to the ego. Because at the end of the day, you walk away going, I showed him, okay, yeah, that's fine, but people still don't have health care. <laughs> People's paychecks right. are still underwater. And you uh, never see them, you never see them challenge anybody to the left of them. That's mm-hmm. the thing. You never see Kyle debate anybody to the left of him. You never see them do that. It's always debating people who are to the right of them, which is easy to do. Exactly. Because, I mean, it's like, I don't know, it's just an exercise in ego, pretty much, to say, oh, you showed him, I showed them. Okay, well, that's fine. But, I mean, for what you were arguing for, did not have any action behind it to get the things that we want. You know, so, I mean, it's just like we need more independent, registered independent in Congress and in state houses, especially in in, in states like mine and your, oh, case disappeared. But anyway, it's especially in states like mine that don't have the ability to to do citizen initiatives. You know what I mean? Right. I mean that. like like what what is all this for? I'm like this is so stupid. It's like I just feel like the thing is is this. You know, I would not be surprised if the Democratic Party wants Joe Biden to lose because they feel like people in this country are trying to move too further too far to the left, right? Because of the whole Bernie Sanders wave. So I wouldn't be surprised if they actually want Joe Biden to lose. That's the thing, people. It would be great I for fundraising if Trump if they, the if they just want him to lose. 
Yeah, like they'd probably be fine just because, of course, they're not going to reveal that, but they'd probably be fine because of the fact that it means that, okay, this country is going to be, um, is going to be pulling further away from the far left. So that's the thing. The majority of people part of the Democratic Party that are in Congress, right, and they're in the Senate, they are not to the left. That's the thing. So I would not be surprised if they actually just want Joe Biden to lose, to pull things further back to the right so that another centrist style Democrat can come in and run and win. They think it'll make them look good by comparison. Yep. Sorry about that. I I got a call, so I had to jump out real quick. (laughs) But the the last. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Who's that? It's a matter of priorities. They prioritize money and getting paid. Wait, of winning. That's all I was going to say. The last thing I want to say before I let you guys um, go, because I know you got to, I'm looking forward to that rising uh, when you go on rising tomorrow, uh, Sabi. The last thing I want to say, one of the takes that I got from the book that I, I definitely uh, want to clip and, and make a tweet about it was that um, later on, in later in the book, AOC said how um, just she didn't really get as much help as was was thought from uh, Justice Democrats in DSA. That's why there's not a lot of, she doesn't feel, and, and this is in my opinion, I don't think she feel as obligated to help them out because um, she couldn't help her as much as people think, right? Um, as far as endorsing Ali, helping her out, it, it was really until later on, and we all know that they are just as done for the other times to help AOC. But th- that came after they told AOC herself, like they said, um, you know, I'm sorry, we're going to have to, we can't help you anymore because, you know, we got to focus on something else. And for about, I think about, um, they, and they contact with her until then they came up with the strategy. They said, you know what, let's put all our chips in on AOC. And they recontacted her and that's, and put a put over the hump. But um my point is she was saying that they didn't help her out early and often. And now that she's a congresswoman, a leftist, a so called leftist, that she's in a position that she can help other people early and often. In the book it talk about Tiffany Caban, who at the time she's currently um in the state legislator. I know Roger knows this. Um, she's currently in the state legislator of New York, but at the time she ran as, um, I believe it was Manhattan district attorney or, or yep. Brooklyn district attorney. Oh, which no, one? No, no, no. Mm-hmm. It, it's, she was running as Queens DA. And Queens DA. Now, thank you. She, and, she's part mm-hmm. of, she's part of New York city council. Thank um, you. Thank you so much, Rod. I knew you would know. So she, yeah, at the Lucy, time she Lucy was running for Queens. Her. Say that again. I said, Lucy can't stand her. Oh, yeah, she's she's another. I'm sorry, but uh, mm-hmm. she's another one. Tiffany, she's also very fake. Really? Okay. Yes, she's not. Mm-hmm. She she's in the, she's she's milk toast. Okay, I didn't I didn't know that side of. From what I understand, as for for Queens uh, DA, she was running on legalizing sex work at the time. So I think that's very um, going out of the regular realm and i think at the time that i I believe that's probably pretty courageous because i don't even think that's mainstream as of right now um legalizing sex work if you polled it on i doubt it would get over 50 percent. so um at the time 
my, my point with Tiffany Caban is that she, AOC was already elected and she could have gotten behind her a lot earlier. And from what the books, from according to the book, if she would have gotten on board earlier, she would have won that first election, but it came down and it got, she barely lost, like, I think like double digits votes or something like that, or, or, or a very small amount of votes. She lost that. So AOC didn't learn the same lesson that she should have, where for her, she learned the value of getting endorsements, getting help early. And now that she has the power to do that, she hasn't been really doing that as much. So at some point, I'm going to try to clip that and make that point. What do you all think? Yeah, I mean, I think AOC's lying. Like, I I spoke to people that were part of Justice Democrats and were part of DSA. And the thing is, is that AOC... First of all, when those organizations contacted uh, Justice Democrats and um, the other like politicians, a part of JD that got mm-hmm. in, they mm-hmm. shut them out. See, again, mm-hmm. this is only AOC's st- uh, side of the story. Mm-hmm. And so we always have to remember that. And mm-hmm. so, but but I've spoken to people that at that point in time did work with Justice Democrats, and they said that once those politicians won, those politicians shut them out, all of them, the mm-hmm. squad, Cory Bush, all of them. So mm-hmm. the thing is, again, is that AOC is not telling the whole story. If mm-hmm. she really wanted to get in touch with Justice Democrats, she had a way to do that. She chose not to. Mm-hmm. Case you gotta remember, she shut oh, she God. shut all of them out. She shut just like she shut out left media. Yeah, I think it was just an excuse to um, shut them out because even Sharkabarti, um, who was her chief of staff um, at the time, she got rid of him, and also um, uh, I think his name was Trent Corbin, was her press secretary. That they were both in the Capitol with her, in Congress with her, and. And she fired them because of pressure from Nancy Pelosi, because they they were more radical than her her, herself, you know. So they was pushing her to the left, and I think she didn't want that pressure, and that's why she got rid of them. And then this is why she told Ryan Grimm, like, "Oh yeah, those JD and DSA was they really didn't help me win." Because yeah, she's trying to did, give an did, excuse. Did Ryan, did Ryan Grimm go get their side of the story? No, he didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, in the book, he, he did um, give Char Chakrabarty's side of the story. And I think he's a very nice guy because he didn't go hard at AOC. Like, yeah, she betrayed us. She He more said, like, yeah, I... Because um, he had some radical tweets. Like, basically, he called... The um, blue dogs, um, not the, they're not called the blue. I think they're called the new Dems, right? He he called them the new Dems, the Dixiecrats of the past, basically in a tweet. So like that kind of inflamed. And um, in the book, it talked about how uh, I think AOC's, uh, her, her thinking is like, I have to work with these people. So I can't have my staff calling her, um, calling my fellow colleagues names and and create intention and and i think um Chakabarti, his side of it and trent corbin they said their side of it was a- aoc didn't really um stick to the guns of she allowed her staff to be free to to 
say tweets and not to be guarded, but she didn't put in, in, in um, she didn't really state the ground of how they're going to run in Congress. Like, are they going to stay radical in Congress or are they going to be held back and, and tone it down? And she had mixed messaging. <clears throat> so her staff went with, okay, you're letting us be able to tweet ourselves and let us be free. And then when they did that, she let, you know, Charles Chakrabarty and Trent Corbin go because of pressure from Nancy Pelosi. So that's, that's the, I think that's what they would say, but it wasn't, they could have probably went a lot harder. And I think even now they could be doing left-wing media. I saw Trent a couple places, but not, I try to have him on my show and he was interested, but he never reached back out to me. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I think they're trying to, they're almost like Dennis Kucinich with RFK where he said, I'm going to leave the campaign, but I'm not going to bad talk RFK. So I think they're, they're doing the same thing with AOC. Yeah. I mean, if you want to know, like, I guess the other side of it, I mean, Lucy was involved in her campaign also, I believe. Um, I mean, not to, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know to what degree, but she's also, AOC is also her congresswoman, mm-hmm. you know? Larry Sharp, mm-hmm. too. I mean, I know that Larry wasn't out there, you know, whatever, but, you know, so, I mean, mm-hmm. if you want to really get on the ground uh, knowledge, you could just talk to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you know, always good to mm-hmm. ask the people, the grassroots people, because yeah. politicians are going to lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had somebody else um, really early on in her um, congresswomanship that they they worked with um, Crowley before, and and the person I'm talking about worked at uh, I believe it was some kind of hospital, some kind of medical institution, and they told me they're like, yeah, AOC's no show. She we've been trying to reach out to her and da 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 and. And I was skeptical because I'm thinking like, oh, this here's this progressive person. Like, of course she's gonna want to talk to these people and help out her constituents. But no. um, now with after all these all this time has passed by, and I'm looking at the fruit of what she's done, and it's not really much. I can see that that person that I originally talked to is probably right. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's always best to ask the people that have been organizing mm. on the ground. Um, in reference to like these campaigns and like Lucy has provided like a lot of information in reference to how AOC was when she first ran versus how she was two years later. Mm. Yeah, she doesn't go on TYT anymore. You know, Jamal Bowman, he, I remember going to a meetup where I met with Jenk Yuga one time and Jamal Bowman was there and I even took a picture with both of them. And so that's how tight they were. And they was going out to dinner right after that meetup. And they still, no, no need to, to this day, to I don't see Jamal Bowman. Um, I, I don't, I haven't seen him on TYT. I haven't seen AOC on TYT. And these are people that gave him a, you know, that, that at the time, or even now they're supposed to be quote unquote, the biggest progressive media and they don't go over there. So that's, a, that's one of my biggest disappointments. I don't see them going, even on your show, you know, I, that's one thing I got to give credit to Cornell West that for a time he was going on RBN pretty frequently and even um even uh marianne williamson knows that they she she should have to go on your show like if if she's going to speak to the black community you need to go on black media so i I give them credit for at least going on but with aoc and all these other people is disappointing 
I wish Cornell West would talk more about his policies. Well, people, in order for that to happen, people have to ask him about his policies. And a lot of the interviews that I've seen, they're not doing that. They're talking about everything but that. True, but it doesn't stop him. It wouldn't stop him from actually saying, I'm going to take control of this and I'm going to say, this is what my policy is for this and that. So, um, Cornell, Roger Knight, that um, it, it ended up running at the same time as the show. I, they, they said it was going to start at six. It ended up starting at seven. But, um, but we'll have to check it out. He was in, um, in Michigan with a, um, a Palestine rights group. And he was basically um, calling for the International Criminal Court to investigate um, Bibi and, Isra- and Israel for potential war crimes Gosh. over Gaza. So it sounds pretty good. We'll see how it how it uh how it turned out i think right now too the the you know we're getting into the holidays so it's it's really going to be january when we um when we see when things start happening too but hopefully i think he'll be back on the show again did y'all see uh cornell west on cnn recently he's been on a few times yeah (laughs) like um maybe it was like two Actually, it was last Friday, I think it was, because I saw it later and I clipped it um, on. He was on CNN, and I agree with Roger that uh, I think that's one thing Bernie was good at. Like, any question you asked him, he would put it right back to Medicare for All or some kind of policy. Well, I'll tell you this. When when Cornell was on Sabi's show last time, I think it was like one of the last questions, one of the last things she said to him is, is focus on the corruption. You know, looking at the platform is good, but where's, where's talk about the corruption. Mm. And so, you know, that's what I would say, you know, to the campaign is really start making the com- campaign and a movement be about money and corruption and then go from there to the solutions. And, you know, yeah. I'm waiting to hear back from somebody in the campaign. I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to talk to them. Try to talk some sense into them well now, but trying to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Well, nothing's much love gonna to change y'all. until we get rid of uh legalized mm-hmm. bribery, citizens' yeah. right. That is I'm, legalized I'm corruption. Nothing's yeah. gonna change until we replace corporations with cooperatives. That's yeah. True. You know what's funny? It's interesting that um I saw recently, I forgot where I it might have been breaking points that they were talking about how corporations and how and even right now um, they have Facebook and I believe what's the other tech company. Basically, there's a couple of tech companies trying to cre- create tech uh, towns. So where yes. towns where the, the, the tech company owns the the houses and yeah. owns the, the land and yeah. they want their employees to uh, live there as part of being an employee to that company and they yeah. they referenced how in the past that, that you know the 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 oil yeah. the barons wanted to do that in the past but it didn't work out uh yeah, it's well. a trap so, it sounds towns, like you know what i'm talking about you, you could go yeah, ahead was it, speak on they it. did it on yeah they made did the story on breaking points and they talked about how they tried to do that in the late 1800s but mm, i believe did jb it. did that a couple of months ago I, I think he did that story a couple of months ago Okay. I asked him. He found it sounded familiar. Yeah, it's that's that's definitely a trap. Yeah, hundred percent. Because then they can watch you all the mm-hmm. time. <laughs> and but what they the one thing that sparked in my mind, um, sparked interest in or uh, my ears perked up was that they said they were trying to do where they would have, let's say, um, 
I, I think this happened back in the 1800s. They have their own currency that they were trying to pay their employees in their own yeah. currency that they can eat food or whatever that was on, I would say campus, but you know, in that town and something that I've been thinking about now, of course, I don't agree with how they were trying to implement it, but I was thinking about, man, what if us as um, more socialist minded, mutual aid minded, if we had mutual aid bucks or something like that, where, you know, a mutual, mutual aid is not necessarily, and we talked about this already, it's not charity, meaning that I'm going to give you something and not expect anything in return. Mutual aid is um, I'm going to do something for you. And later on, I'm hoping that you'll do something for me. So I was like, what if we had amongst us like mutual aid uh, currency to and, and about kind like of bartering, that. Like a bartering. I was just going to say that. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say that maybe a mutual aid bartering type of thing. And this would be outside of the capitalist system totally, because in, in you imagine a situation where the economy is in the tanks and they're like, oh, you can't food, eggs and prices are such and such. Uh, a, one egg costs $10 and stuff like this. But if we had our own mutual aid networks where we had connections to mutual aid farms, and we could barter within and use our own mutual aid dollars and currency Producer. Producer that's outside of that. Yeah, it's outside of that inflation. And, and exactly those um, locally owned or employee owned cooperatives that we have our own. And, and of course, we, we live in a capitalist world. So you can have like if you're not part of our network, then, yeah, you got to pay regular U.S. dollars and pay the regular price. But, oh, you're part of our mutual aid network? Okay, yes, you have your, uh, like, a Bitcoin system, but for mutual aid or something. I don't know. I, but that's something I was thinking about before I even saw that breaking points clip about the corporations. And I was like, oh, it's funny how they had that, but they want to do it to, to enslave you while mutual aid currency would be to free us, you know. But anyway, I, I know, Savvy, I don't want to keep you all here. Yeah, that was, like a, system of, much that was like a system of feudalism. That was almost feudalistic because you'd, only, you'd be like Case, a... Case, while you're here, before I forget, mm -hmm. when are you going to make a new video? I'm going to make a new video when I'm about to launch the Mutual Aid Party. So I like to um, launch a new video when I have something to promote. So in the past I was promoting um, the people's gauntlet and in the past, even before, I think the first time I was just um, promoting case study QB period. And then the second promo, which is still up there right now, I was promoting people's gauntlet, but um, the people's gauntlet is now defunct. So I, I cut that part of the clip and that's why what's there now, it says I'm re-upping this pre promo because I cut that part off and I just kept the main part of the video, but definitely believe you're going to be in the new promo whenever it gets cut. Um, and along with a lot of the, my RBN comrades and other people that are an independent left. Yeah. It's not even just, you know, about me, but I'm just kind of like, where are all the black people? Yeah. Yeah. That's been there for like the last couple of years, but the, um, definitely when, when I'm ho hoping to, as soon as I get that launch, I'm going to put that at the end. And then also have the new promo with all the everybody in it. But Nico was the first black person in the first promo, so I got I got to give him credit because he was the very first person Nico House to to give me a shout out. Like when I had like maybe single digits. <laughs> yeah, because there's more yeah. black people now. Yeah, there's a lot, a ton of more black people in the independent media space. No doubt about that. 
Oh, speaking of which, um, I wanted to tell you guys this just because um, before I forget, if you guys are not aware, I didn't want to say it on YouTube, um, but I don't know if you guys have heard, but uh, Tim Black's daughter died. Oh, so, you know, if you if you follow him uh, on Twitter, send condolences, because I know that's I already reached out. So I know that's that's it's. A parent should never have to lose a child. Yeah, that's tough. So I know that's that's gotta be tough. So if you you know follow him on Twitter or whatever, um, be sure to like send condolences. He actually made a stream talking about it, and someone sent it to me, and that's how I found out. And I said, "Oh my god!" Like I had no idea, you know. So just you know, you know, sometimes like. You know, just just keep in mind that like just because you see people like on on camera, that doesn't mean they're not dealing with real shit off camera. Of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was she sick or was it an accident or something? It was drugs. Drug okay. overdose. Mm, damn. He, he says she got addicted to opioids, I believe, and they were struggling for for years or whatever. She'd be in and out of drug rehab. And you know, so he was talking about he's raising his grandbabies now. Oh mm. my goodness! Uh, Fentanyl, yeah, yeah bad stuff. So, he's asked. And I told him, I said, you know, I know that, um, you know, I know we've had our differences and stuff in the past, but I just wanted to, like, you know, tell you I'm sorry for your loss, and like, I wish you and your family the best because, like, look, sometimes you just gotta, like. Uh, put shit aside because like I said, you know, I have mm-hmm. one friend, one friend that lost a child. And that mm-hmm. shit is rough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I never lost a child, thank God, but I lost my brother to a car accident two years ago. And it's like the day right before his birthday. Matter of fact, it's around uh, Christmas. It was December 12th. So it's not a child, but um, losing my only big brother, um, it really hurts. It the the what hurts the most is the suddenness. Like I've had my grandmother pass. I've had um, old older poop. My uncle who got sick and it's like over ten years or so. Over like a lot of years, we seem get weaker and weaker. So we had time to celebrate his life while he was still here. But literally the next day, I was gonna go out my drop off my kids, go pick up my wife. We were gonna go to Hibachi and celebrate his birthday. And just that night, um, I got a call that he passed away. I think he fell asleep at the car wheel and uh, crashed into somebody. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was definitely, it's tough. It's definitely tough. It's tough. Yeah, so that was just FYI, people, like, mm-hmm. that was his daughter. So, um, again, if you, some of you on Twitter, I know some of you are not, but just send your condolences. Like I said, he he actually created a stream recently where he explained everything that happened so if you get a chance you know check out that stream because he i can't tell it the way that he can but he does go into detail about how things um how the events transpired so um yeah so i don't know man um i I sincerely hope other people reached out like as well like other people in left media also reached out Um, And I sincerely hope that, you know, whatever, like you guys know, like me and Tim weren't always on the best of terms, like, but 
I sincerely would hope that when something like this happens, people would be inclined to reach out and would put all that, the bullshit to the side. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I, I, I reached out when you told me. So he was like, thank you. I forget who sent it to me. Somebody sent it to me. You know, I get a lot of emails. Uh, people be sending me like links and stuff to videos, but somebody sent it to me. I think it was yesterday, yesterday, right, Roger? Wasn't that when I, yeah, uh, or uh, Sunday. What's maybe. today? Tuesday? Tuesday? Was it Sunday? It's Wednesday now. Oh, well, shit. It was, it was one of them days. And someone sent it to me and they said, Sabby, please reach out. And I was like, what? And so I, yeah. And so they told me what happened. And then I was like, what the hell? And so they said, check the channel. So I checked the channel and then I saw the stream and I was like, oh my God. So, so something to keep in mind, like Tim lost his father not too long ago too. Around this time, a couple of years ago. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. And I know people like we've all had like people have like their podcast beef and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, like <laughs> when people go through this kind of shit, like people need to reach out. We're all human. Yeah. <laughs> We're all human at the end of the day. So. Right. All right, guys, I do have to head out. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It was Sunday. I found it. It was Yo, Sunday I, you sent it to me. I, I just want to say I so love that Sabrina still does call. So appreciate you so much. Yeah, me too. Me too. Thanks, Savage. I like talking to you guys. I'm uh, Roger sent me I a couple it. other options too. It's family. Um, so when this when this app goes down, Roger sent me a couple other options because I don't want to go to locals because they make the viewers actually um pay which I think is bullshit. Um, Amen. And also, I don't want to sit on a video <laughs> like this whole time because honestly... I, I, I offered, like, we, we could set it up so, like, this is running on YouTube, too. For some reason, she didn't want to. No, that <laughs> I, I take off clothes and shoes. So this is my comfortable. <laughs> I have a question from that bad cookie I forgot to ask. Uh, Bad Cookies wanted to know if anything was happening with your show for New Year's Eve. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I have to actually check with the hubs on that one. You know, New Year's Eve is one of these things that I, I swear to God, every year we never plan what we're going to do until the last minute. I'm not kidding. So I don't know. So I have to check with him and see, like, if 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 he wants to go out. <clears throat> as 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 I get older, I get less interested in going out for New Year's Eve because it's too fucking expensive, to be honest. Uh, it's 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 just something you do more so like when you're younger. But as you get older, I'm just like, girl, yes, hundred dollars <laughs> just to get in the door when nah, I can walk into it. this place for free any other night. Not what? worth it. Not worth it. Not worth it. <laughs> Hello. So <laughs> stay, stay home and watch the ball drop. That's it. Yeah, so I don't know. So if if he says we're not going out, then I could do something for New Year's Eve, and we could drop the ball. We could do like the top uh, stories or whatever of the year. I could do something like that. I will not be doing it with other networks this time around, like I did before. I ain't got time for all that. <laughs> too many different personalities. Too many different rules. I ain't got time for that. 
But other than that, heading out, guys. Okay, good night. Good morning. Much love. Bye, everybody. All right. Catch you later. Peace. Bye. 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 Bye.